Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date Star Trek's edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. It is big week 110. Now, can you believe it? That's that's so many. 66 to go after this. So many, but I have long since had to give up naming athletes with jersey numbers <laughs> that matched. I don't know. 110's a tough one. Yeah, I mean... What would we be talking about? The the Tour de France marathon numbers yeah, you'd go have this to have high. Some kind of but, bib. Yeah. No longer is it a jersey number. Now it's a bib number, and I don't know anyone. Yeah, we're bib into number. bib sports. I'm not like, oh, I remember what bib number Carl Lewis wore when he <clears throat> won all them medals or what? You know what I mean? Like I don't know. I know even less than you. We should not have gone this long. We should have stopped at ninety nine. Yeah. Yeah, we have so much to go. It's really a lot. It's just, <laughs> and the real trouble is, we almost all of them are going to be three episodes. Yeah, no, I know we don't go down to two until near the end. So yeah, like we have eight episodes without Voyager and three that are just TNG, and we'll see how that format works. Yeah, well, they'll be short, shorter. Uh, last week well, we Voyager was worse. This week, I've jumped in there. That's right. So this week we're watching Course Oblivion. Hey man, are you are you tired of this app yet? I can't deal with this app. <laughs> Did they, you have some trouble with this app? They make it worse every time. It gets worse every update. Now you can't look <laughs> in the episodes. Like when you go into the, like when you push on the on the show, it just goes straight into the episode that it wants you to watch. But like you can't you can't get to an episode menu anymore. Uh, again, this is on yeah. The, it's always been t- always been tough. <clears throat> this is on the Amazon Fire app, and uh, yeah. And so you got the only way to do it. I swear to God, this fucking app is to search for the show, and then from that search area, <laughs> you can go in and find the episodes. But from like the continue watching area, it just takes you to the episode. But guess what? Every time it's wrong. Every oh, time it starts showing trouble? me last week's episode. Uh, it works okay for me, but I mostly am watching it on the PC. Mm. And I think it, maybe it's marginally better. I've never had the ad flurry, and it's never haunted my computer. So. <laughs> you never got the ad that was hashtag say pubic? No. Okay. <laughs> I still don't believe that happened. I mean, it's real. It's uh, for real. It, it's really, I really real. I have not, and I will not search that hashtag. No, you probably shouldn't. Marjan, yes, oh boy, we're already digressing so much. Yesterday, Marjan was telling me about that everyone in science Twitter was laughing about this published article from a oh, PhD. Oh, the one about uh, jacking it to anime? The one for jacking it to anime is about little boys. Anyway, whatever the name of the porno genre is i cannot remember it because i was not familiar with it 
but um she's like what is that what is that what kind of porno is that i was like i don't know don't search for it just like <laughs> don't look it up it's just this is an obvious one you don't need to look at it and she searched for it and found that it was some it was like cartoon little boys anyway um so anyway that was the that was the connection i told her not to search for it. but yeah she was just like the this phd candidate just got a paper published about how jacking it to cartoon little boys made him appreciate jacking it way more so i saw this in the context of there's a subreddit called hobby drama okay where people post about dramatic happenings in their weird little niche things like when two tech bros bought knitting.com and tried to revolutionize the way knitting worked (laughs) and just uh just basically got laughed out of the business by you know everyone old ladies mainly sure um but so i saw it in one of the hobby scuffles like short threads Uh, so all i know about this paper is that the paper was actually about ways methods for doing research about pornography and the types of discourse that should be used and it encouraged frank discussion of it Uh and also viewing the materials the way the participants view them Mm. aka jack jack it and then his conclusions are like i really learned that like jack and like jacking it is underappreciated it's just like we should all just think of like jack and it's pretty good and he's like and he's like saying stuff like if you think about it when you jack it that's like when you're least alone because you're like thinking about so many people and it's like wow. hey buddy what about when you're like with people that you're less alone than when you're with people and i also thought people in general pretty much already enjoy jacking it they don't need to be told about it yep so like uh we've all figured it out i was listening to an earlier episode of brother date where you uh mentioned again mm. some uh, someone giving maybe someone giving seven the talk mm. and uh telling her not to masturbate too much not too much <laughs> just not to do it too much you know right so <clears throat> uh yeah yeah it was published i feel like I, I feel like i'm alan iverson now just say over and over again saying pub we're talking about published published let's uh let's recenter here okay if it was just about jacking it why did it Uh have to be specifically about cartoon little boys is my question that's all um i mean maybe it was in his grant I think yep. Well, well, once he'd asked for I it, mean, the grant, then I don't know if it was grant through. funded. Is that the kind of thing? Is that disclosed in the paper? Do you um, know if he got a grant from the I don't National know. Endowment I mean, for the Arts? Or no, I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, if uh, oh, what does Bill McNeil say? If he was somebody, he'd give it ten grand. Oh, the, right. The pictures <laughs> of Beth with a bag over her head um, before he immediately goes over and says. <laughs> Beth showing naked pictures of herself. <laughs> Check it out. Check it um, out. All right. Someone's getting married. Everyone is ready to celebrate. The bride comes in at Espalana. She's marrying Tom Paris, and nobody asks her to think about it. No. They give their vows, and the vows don't make any sense, given all we've seen is them fighting and TP being a real turd boy. But they are wed. Uh, kissing and everything. 
I, I would go one step further and say that the vows suck. There's a lot of talk in there. She says a lot of shit about how he fixed her, etc. Yeah. And it's pretty gross when you consider what their relationship has been like, at least as viewed through our eyes. Yep. I mean, it gets, I mean, it just gets worse through the first act or an act and a half of this episode. Uh, Seven catches the bouquet. Everyone had fun. But then stuff goes into slow motion to let you know, like, either these were the good times that don't exist anymore or won't soon or something. And yeah, then the ship starts to warp, gets all warpy and wiggly. And then the rice, the celebratory rice, falls through the floor into the levels below. But everyone's blissfully unaware of that credits. We just, like, fly from happy conversation to happy conversation. We get, like, Chaco yep. and Janeway and TP and Neelix, Balana and Seven. And it sounds like they, they have enhanced warp drive. They enhanced it in some way, and they're super close to Earth. Like, way closer than... And they're only two years from home at this rate. Yeah, they're, like, way closer than we previously were told. I wonder why, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this last group, Balana and Seven, they find some kind of minor fluctuation they gotta go check out. They crawl into some Jeffrey's tubes. And on the way, Seven talks about how she would never get married, because she would never just fuck one person the rest of her life. <laughs> and then they uh, they find the problem, and it's like twisted all over again. The ship's all yeah. bendy and wavy. It's bad CGI. If anything like that happened in real life, I think all your ship would break. But anyway, uh, they think it might be that enhanced warp drive doing it, but they they can't seem to fix it, even when they turn off the warp drive. Uh, then back in her quarters, Balana gets all shivery, and she starts to get all wobbly and wiggly. And then TP comes in and finds her quite ill and takes her to sickbay where hella people are having the same symptoms. I think he says it's three, but it looked like all the beds were full. Yeah, but it's not that big a sickbay, really. Yeah. Anyway, everyone's been affected, uh, but they find out that certain objects that came aboard the ship from the outside, those have not been affected by whatever is happening. So they know the problem is from something that happened to Voyager many months ago, and um, Chaco and uh, Tuvok go looking for answers in the ship's logs. Uh, TP explains his cool honeymoon plans to a dying Balana, and of course, it's just stuff that he likes. <laughs> but even in death, she's super deferential to this worm. She passes. It's it's the worst. It's awful. On her deathbed, she's like, it sounds like you planned a great honeymoon for you. Sorry I can't be there to be on your great honeymoon that only you would have liked. Talking all about cars and stuff. Anyway, she dies, so we know this is not our Voyager or reality or whatever. Yeah, it was always suspicious, but now the gig's up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is the show where there could be a Harry Kim from another universe comes through or... Yes, that is always a possibility. You could get yeah. uh, Balana 2 or whatever. Uh, Tuvok and Chaco go uh, way back through the logs to the date of the Silver Blood mission. You remember the Silver Bloods, everybody. Oh boy, do we I. We watched that one twice. They're probably still burning some of that 20 kilograms of deuterium. <laughs> they think they've nailed it on this one. They ask the doctor to scan for some of them compounds you'd find in the Silver Blood, and he does detect them in the people. And um, then when he hypos Balana's body, per Chaco's instructions, she turns back into a silver blood. Yep. So 
uh, they have proven that they are, in fact, the duplicates from the end of that Silver Blood episode. You guys remember one of the many, one of the 10,000 wild things Janeway did? <laughs> she ex not accidentally, she negotiated to let these guys clone all of the crew of Voyager and then just left them on that planet. In like, just got a 100% volunteer rate for that somehow. Somehow, that's correct. And then she just left, and now no one ever looked at it again. No one. They just, I don't know if they assumed they wouldn't be able to leave that planet. I assumed that. Anyway. Um, so I guess for the purposes of this episode, the Silver Blood people eventually forgot they were the copies. Yeah. And started their search for a way back to Earth, thinking they were just the crew of Voyager. So they built a Voyager? Or did they clone a Voyager? I don't know. It's it's an incredible question. Because building a Voyager, that's... um, I don't think the crew of Voyager could build Voyager. That seems nuts. You need a shipyard and, like, design engineers and stuff. Harry can't make it. He can't even... Remember when he tried to program a, a new doctor and he was just reading a book? Yeah. And everyone hated it? <sighs> anyway. Yeah, then... It seems like you'd need at least Seska and Carrie and Lon Suter if you wanted to, you know, clone Voyager. <laughs> uh, Janeway says that um, regardless of the facts, she's going to keep doing dumb shit. So <laughs> they're heading to Earth no matter what. Yeah, basically, it's uh, extremely clear that their personalities were cloned also. Yes, she is definitely Janeway. Uh, so they need to find the nearest Class Y planet to park and f figure this shit out, and then they can keep going to Earth. That's her plan. Because uh, they assume if they go to the same conditions that were on the Silver Blood planet, they, they're going to be just fine. Um, TP is salty about fake Balana's death and doesn't want to play anymore, so he's really insubordinate the rest of the episode, but he still, he still basically does whatever he's told, so it's not really a plot point. Um, no. Not Chaco tries to convince not Janeway that they need to go back to the Silver Blood planet, but she just gets mad about her dinner being ruined. <laughs> she is mad that he is not interested in her chicken paprikash and instead has to have this argument. Mm -hmm. They find a Class Y planet, but some ship comes up and tells them they're violating some mining consortium's territorial claim, and they fire on Voyager... Voyager could destroy them, but they still see themselves as Starfleet, so they would never do that, and they just retreat. But the ship's just in bad shape now, and they gotta they gotta figure something out quick. Jocko tries again to talk to Janeway into going back to Silver Blood City, but he dies during the argument. Janeway finally gives the order to head back to their old digs, and then a captain's log reveals that 63 more people have died on the way. And everyone left has got the gooey faces, and they talk real slow now. But the ship is kind of holding together. Um, Janeway wants to create a time capsule of their journey and memories and logs and stuff. So that someone hopefully will remember them if they don't make it. And that kind of becomes the stakes from here on out, because they ain't gonna make it. Um, they barely get through another close call with some failed deflector problems. And then, but Janeway beefs it in her captain's chair. An acting Captain Kim's log 
Everything is hopeless and bad. They've only got 10 hours of air left, and they can't even launch the dang old time capsule. No. It just, it just breaks. But they do detect the real Voyager. I don't know if they know it's the real Voyager. This is one of those things where you can clearly see on the screen it's Voyager, but for some reason they can't. This happens a lot, in, especially in Voyager, this happens a lot. Where it'll be yeah. like most of the message will come through and they'll be like, I didn't understand, we didn't get your last transmission. And it's like, man, I know what he said. Um, They can't communicate with this Voyager uh, unless they dump the core and go to Impulse. But the attempt nearly finishes off the ship. And they're still five minutes out from comms range. That's when the view switches to real Voyager. And all they come across is the wreck of fake Voyager. Just a lot of goo in space. So they didn't really make it long enough to say hi to the real Voyager, who don't try very hard to figure out what happened. And they certainly don't seem to understand that it's the Silver Bloods. And that's nope. the episode. Nope, these guys just disappear. They're not recorded in history in any way. Yeah, they're, uh, this is a depressing slog, and that is the end of that. End. Maybe in 800 years, they'll have enough contact with the Delta Quadrant that one of these species that only the Silver Bloods contacted. Yeah will report on it to the Federation and someone will go, huh, that's not in Voyager's logs. They oh, were well. nowhere near there. Yeah, but they won't yeah. look into it. They'll go, huh, oh well, I guess nope. they didn't talk about it. Yeah, it's just going to be a mystery. This is just ancient history to me, whatever. Or, uh, if that episode hadn't happened before Demon, it could be part of the explanation for a living witness. Mm. But it, it can't. No. Hey, uh, what was this one about? Um, Ben says if you lived and died without anyone ever knowing and without leaving a trace, it doesn't really matter at all to the universe. And he says it's depressing, but it is kind of a sci-fi take. And he gives it a three. Okay. I think the take is kind of a question this week. Okay. And that question is, what is it that makes you who you are? Sure. Is it your memories... And personality, or is it something physical and immutable? They don't spend a lot of time on it, but there are two sides to this argument on the dupe ship, right? The side that thinks they should keep doing what they were doing because they are they're the people they are clones of, and the side that thinks they should just run back home and become silver blood again or whatever. Yeah, and it seems to be <clears throat> the side that thinks they should keep going for Earth is Janeway and whoever listens to Janeway, which we see as Kim, as always. A Kim and probably Neelix, and right? Then, well, those yeah. are the two that we definitely see. And then the other side is Chaco and... Um, Teeps. I mean, Teepee's I mean, just in a bad mood, I think, but he, sure. His girlfriend just died and he's mad about it. Yeah. And then... To indignity on top of everything, that that's how they found out that none of them were real. So, yeah. what was any of this? Uh, unfortunately, the show kind of plays both sides, and you could also make the cynical argument that the message of this show is some decisions can't be unmade because Janeway turns back too late to accomplish anything. Right? Yeah, for, I mean, for fucking real, she Janeways this one hard. Like. <laughs> She just fucks the whole thing up. Like, there's a point when you've made a mistake where you can't go back and do the other thing that you would have done yeah, best, and have it be successful, Just to right? keep moving forward and hopefully you come across a different class Y or something. Um, But even though it's a little murky, 
they hinted and danced around an actual science fiction question. And spoiler alert, I have to blank the whole back end anyway, so I'm right. giving it a four for take. Okay. Um, I had, yet again, that uh, however we normally phrase this about a, a, a wonderful, beautiful lie is uh is not is not preferable to a terrible <laughs> to a <harsh> truth. truth or whatever <laughs> fucking star trek take number one yep it happens all the time and guess what it's not the only one this week i guess that's what it is right Janeway has to come to terms with the truth of their situation and takes chaco's death to do it but chaco isn't it's a little different this week because he's not just making a a moral or philosophical argument it's a practical one too because he thinks they need to go back there to survive so it's right. like not only do you hey wake up we're silver bloods but like also we kind of need to i think we need to go back because we're just we're coming apart here and i don't know if anywhere else is gonna save us he doesn't know that's true but that's his theory so right, they're arguing about a like a risk reward calculus mm-hmm. whether it's uh makes sense to keep going on and hope you find the solution or it can meet your needs at another planet or whatever or whether there's no point to going on so the only decision that makes sense is to take the least risk and go back to the one place you know you were safe before not mm-hmm. that they know how to fix the problem even there right no. they, again just a theory he don't know they could just get back there and just keep deteriorating but right uh anyway i gave it a five it's the it's the standard one. It happens all the time. It's a con, it's a constant take on this show. It does, and it is. And um, what did you think about execution? Uh, first, Ben gave it a four. Um, he says a little bit cheap pathos, killing off all the characters we know and love. The real tragedy is not that these dudes beefed it, but rather that they had no effect on the greater story or anything other than they're beefing it. And then he says, glad they went back to revisit these guys, though. It was a big hole in the story. I don't, I mean, I don't think it was a big hole because they've done so many crimes in this quadrant. That like, You're also 100% right that the assumption was that those clones would never be able to leave that planet. I could, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think Janeway thought they were going to be able to build a Voyager. Right. Or clone a Voyager. Whatever they did. Um... So I never thought much about it because I was just like, I don't know, every week she does a new baffling crime. So, like, (laughs) it's hard for any of them to really stand out. I mean, you think the Borg one probably does just because the Borg out there just killing trillions of people or whatever. But um, anyway, so he gave it a four. Um, So, like I said, the, the take this week is sort of part philosophical and part practical. And in this case... It does seem that if they were not melting and had figured out they were fake another way, then they would have just kept cruising on toward Earth. Yep. Probably would have been a better episode, actually, if they just had to wrestle with the question and then decide what to do instead of the melting part. But Voyager is very fond of these hopeless alternate realities. I mean, you remember the year of hell. I do. They love a depressing slog, so. It's a it's a really good point, though. Because if they had come to the conclusion some other way that they were clones, then they could have had a question about, well, since there's no particular reason we need to go home, Mm -hmm. should we indulge our explorers creed here, right? Mm -hmm. And then what about the Maquis who still want to go back and fight a war that they're not really a part of, but 
So yeah, there could have been could have been a better episode As there. As always, if they had just like I don't know, just made it about about a take. If they had a take and made it about that take, probably would have been better. But yeah, just doing more work than the writers did again. Yep. And I actually think the depressing part works. This is a depressing episode. I like Ben pointed out those fuckers just die, and no one ever knows they were out there or anything. Yep. I mean, I guess some people know they were out there based on their year of adventuring around, but they just dissolve without a chance to launch their little time capsule. So I think it does hit the tones they want, but I don't really want to watch Star Trek so I can be depressed. <laughs> like, I don't, I'll leave that to other things. I don't... That's not what Gene wanted. I'm going to speak for Gene here and say that's not what Gene wanted. <laughs> um, still, You're I've, the Gene slur? No, you're the Gene Lorax? Yes, I'm the Gene Lorax. Everyone knows this. and um, But because I think they hit the beats they wanted to hit, I gave it a five. All right. Um, I was a little lower. Uh, the wedding at the start tells you right away that something's wrong. And they give you a, a few clues along the way if you want to work out what it is. And they don't make you wait long after Bellana's death, which is Kind of a point of no return on believability. So I think the initial plot twist works pretty well. Mm -hmm. But like you said, from that point on, the show is just incredibly bleak. Yep. It's just an utterly grim watch. Um, People beefing at the ship, just falling apart. Everyone's got uh a melty-ass face. The the plans fail. And even if they'd launched that beacon, so what? Yep. Like, it's a real so what. Someone will remember us a little bit. And also, if it had been Voyager, I don't know, man. They've been faked out. Like, they would have been like, is Ray Wise around again? What's going on? Is he doing a fake him out again? He's trying to get us with this enhanced warp drive. We're not falling for it. Uh, He heard about us uh, being in the presence of the Borg Queen and not blowing her up, so he's fucking pissed again. In fact, you know what? We're going to go slower now, just in case. Yeah. His game. We're not going to play his game. We're going to go warp six from now on. Uh, I think you're right that it hit the tones it meant to hit, but it had to do that by killing all of the characters. <laughs> so or, ordinarily, you want to be able to hit your emotional beats without doing permanent damage to your cast, and they can only pull this trick off so many times. Yeah. Uh, mainly, I just didn't like watching it, and I gave it a three. Yep, that is totally fair. I also did not enjoy it. Uh, a world of building... Ben's a two. He says, real Voyager takes half a day to chase down a distress call. Silver blood dudes can make complex machines. Uh, why couldn't they make more sets of the crew? Yeah. I, I mean, know. who knows that they can't? Yeah, I don't know what's or going didn't. on. We, don't, we aren't told anything because, again, they don't remember because they think they're the real Voyager crew. Yeah, the only thing I uh, got out of this one is that there is a solution out there that could get Voyager home in a reasonable amount of time. Yes, and Voyager uh, just wasn't lucky enough to come across whatever it was. And they just didn't think of it or come across it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's not really... Wor- I mean, we've known that there were other ways home, right? They almost made it home through that Ferengi wormhole. They almost made it home... Yeah, they've purposely they the not second gone caretaker. home a couple of times. Right, yeah. exactly. So the idea that there's a way home is not that compelling yeah i mean honestly we know what would have happened anyway they would have used it once and it would have broken and they would have said it broke that's it exactly yeah (laughs) but that's the only thing that i could identify and um i had to give it zero points that's fair um i gave it a one 
They said the Silverbloods eventually forgot they were copies. Not explained why. They apparently... I mean, it kind of fits because Harry Kim, I think, thinks he's Harry Kim in the first one. Yeah. Fake Harry Kim thinks he's real Harry Kim. Um, Yeah, yeah. They apparently did some good work out there and built a kick-ass warp drive that nearly got him home. But honestly, even just cloning Voyager is pretty impressive work. So these guys, very enterprising. Great stuff out of them. Yeah. But I'm not sure anything in here matters outside of this mini arc of uh, the Silverbloods. So, yeah, just the one for me. Uh, But I'm sure you you scored a lot of characterization points. This is the kind of episode that's built for characterization, (laughs) obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Ben gave it a zero. He says, presumably these clones act similarly to the real thing, but given that they have the real memories, but then another nine months or so of additional different real memories, we can't be sure that any of this characterization matters. I landed on the exact same thing. It's not really them. As soon as they became sentient, they started being their own people and having their own experiences. And and so while you, again, while you could say they might, this might be the way that they would act, it's just not. I can't call this characterization for our crew. Um, Yeah, that idea is actually covered in a lot more depth than too many Rikers. Exactly. That's right. He became his own Riker and he became a real piece of crap. Not fun yeah, well, like our Riker. Their se- seven years apart or whatever were pretty different. They were. Like I was just making, like I was just etching waterfalls on metal for fucking years with a face. Yeah, Riker was, uh, Riker was wearing feathers and furs and yeah. alien doctors were extorting him into sexual <laughs> encounters, etc. Everything that Thomas Riker would have wanted. He fucked that bring Lloydy redhead. Man. A lot of stuff. Thomas Riker had. Uh, Thelonious would have loved that. Yeah, sorry. Yes, Thelonious. All he could do was carve waterfalls into metal with his phaser, and, and like try to jerk off to that. Yeah, like traps around up in the fucking catwalks and shit of that station. I don't know what he. He was wrote a paper doing. about it, but nobody read it. No, it turns out there was no one to read it when he was by himself there. Uh, anyway, uh, zero. I don't know. It's a zero. It's not about them. It's about someone else, and they're not going to come back. They died, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you could no, say that um, Harry came in, fake Harry came in, fake whoever was there, fake TP too. I don't remember. Like maybe there was characterization for those two dudes, but I don't, I don't see it. Oh yeah, the the two fakes did appear in that show, but it's actually not totally clear that these are the same two. Yeah, who knows, right? Who can say? Because they never have memories of what happened on that planet at any point, so it's yeah, you know, what do you do with it? Agreed. And look, I'm I'm in the same boat here. Roughly one minute of the episode is with the real crew. And they don't do nothing. And what we learn about them is that they're a little sad that they didn't get to this distress call in time. But, you know, at the end of the day, they got to move on. Yeah, so. but they're, like, surprisingly not curious. They're like, oh, it looks like a bunch no. of goo. That's weird. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> He's going, oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> it's, uh, you're the Vulcan Science Academy this week. I get it. Okay. <laughs> they do the uh, no life signs. Time to move on. Yeah. So. Uh, of course, I could not give points for that, so yep. sadly, it's going to be a zero for me. Yeah, it's like they didn't get the rubric. I sent it back through time, but they didn't. They're not paying attention. World building. I mean, sorry, quick hitters. I almost went backwards. Yeah, Ben says uh, Belana fits in a tiny little Nalgene bottle. Yeah. Uh, we see Harry Kim die again. Did they use the same effects from that folded episode again? Why is you he know pretending like he, he doesn't? I know he knows yeah, it's twisted. that's bullshit. Don't pretend you don't know. They were twisted. Yeah, they were right. not folded. And anyway, weirdly, no. They came up with whole new ripple effects for this one. 
idiots. Why can't Bolana be happy, he asks. These writers are sadistic shits. It is, Bolana is always the one who gets sick. Yeah. Or who has medical tests performed on her. Uh-huh. Or whatever. Yeah, and this kid, episode, Kidnapped no and m- created two different species. Gets fucking, um, the bug went on her. Remember that bug? Oh, yeah. She had the Cardi doctor problem and all that. Yeah, her shit was fucked permanently. She's fucking trying to kill herself on the holodeck. It's bad news. She's had a real rough tour, even if you don't count the emotional trauma of learning that all of her Maquis friends died. That's fine, because Chaco gave her that really fucking tepid pep talk that just snapped her right out of it. She's okay now. I do have a few of my own. Uh, Janeway says, Bellana has asked me to forego the rigor of pain sticks and stick to the more traditional ceremony. So, uh... I guess human stuff is traditional for Janeway, yep. and Klingon stuff's just a real hassle, huh? Yes. Yeah. It's a rigor, specifically. Well, we all know what she was really worried about was the odor of a Klingon It was ceremony. whether there would be a smell, yeah. Yeah. So, Janeway is a full racist. <laughs> even and she's not aware blood. of it in any way. Yep, even Silverblood Janeway. By, by the way, here's another thing. If you are performing a ceremony... And especially if you are going to perform the ceremony that everyone expects the mm. way they expect it, don't need a preamble about how you're going to do it the traditional way. Yeah, agreed. You can just start right in it, dearly beloved. Yes, the uh, yes, the only reason to say that stuff is to let your worldview be known. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, then uh, Ben pulled out. Uh, Tom Paris's middle name being Eugene. I thought it would have been really cool if Bellana had a middle name, but she doesn't. I thought maybe Clyde. Bellana Clyde Torres. That's pretty good after her grandfather or something. Yeah, exactly. That would have been good. Klingons don't know about that. That's right. Um, you usually No, I was don't... saying K apostrophe L. Oh, I see. L-I-Y-D-E. Hold on, I'm going to write that down and spin up a new uh, alt alt character in STO after this. <laughs> Clyde. Clyde. <laughs> Son of Dwayne D apostrophe. Oh, but there you go. Anyway. Um, you usually don't plan your honeymoon after the wedding ceremony is over, right? Yeah. Um, and you usually don't get your weird friend Neelix to help you? I mean, I don't. I rarely go to Neelix for things like that. I mainly but go to him definitely... about broths and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, exactly. The shit you can make with Leola Roots, etc. Uh, maybe back alley deals gone wrong. He's got some experience there. Could be, could be, could be. Yeah, crippling traumas from your past might be a good thing to talk to him what about. What happens if your sister uh, Florida beefs it? That kind of thing. Yep. Whether you should go talk to a picture of your dead sister while a very worried little girl is sleeping 20 feet away with no doors closed between you. <laughs> All the lights on. <laughs> All the lights on. Uh, but Tom Paris sure does, uh, at least 36 hours after the wedding is concluded, <clears throat> sure is plan- trying to figure out what this honeymoon's going to be with Neelix. Yeah. Well, Neelix steers him in the right direction. They come up with only things TP likes. Just... Chicago gangsters and old cars and uh, probably a lot of uh, 20th century slang. You can't dig too much into this on Voyager because you'll never stop. But what do you think isodynamics means? Mm, uh, Well, of course, the uh, the isolated variations 
of the technologies mm. and the mm. and the bones that they do that dogs do have and the word appears to mean equal forces huh. so okay, what do you then. do with that um there's a there's a shot where Bolana and seven of nine crawl into a Jeffrey's tube very lovingly focused on seven of nines but <laughs> nothing new they've there, probably man. been writing scenes where she crawls into around in the Jeffrey's tubes for years now right and this time they have the ship falling apart as an excuse so she can't say no it's so dumb I mean it's just so Jordy puts on a different jumpsuit when he crawls over his regular outfit it's yeah, 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 fucking yeah, yeah. crazy that they mm-hmm. have her do that in her butt crack showing cat suit with her fucking six inch heels on mm-hmm. yes I know and her you know those uh, novelty chocolates that look like a butthole mm-hmm. that appear oh, to have yeah. been molded off of a butthole I knew exactly you where could, you were going as soon as you said novelty yeah. chocolates yeah so I mean you could make one without <laughs> her having to take that off <laughs> for sure so they sure enjoyed that shot um, I, okay but just think about it Jordy all day Where's a jumpsuit? Mm-hmm. He says, I'm going to go into the Jeffrey's tube. It's pretty rough in there. Probably scratch out my knees. I'm going to put on my better jumpsuit, the one that's uh-huh. bulkier and gives me more padding so my knees don't get all graded up. This lady goes in in her Lycra jumpsuit or whatever that yep. is. And yep. <laughs> and the real human woman had to crawl around on that grate. <laughs> that's right. By the way, there is. Let's try to let's try to remember. There was a real life human woman. Yeah, this is not CGI. Okay, everybody, that's not a CGI butt crack. This is the real deal. That butt crack was doing it with some senator or something, right? Doesn't that her backstory? I mean, that is true. Yes, he like made her do dirty stuff in a theater. Isn't this? I remember this all, but I remember all of this from like the when it was ha- when like the nineties when she was on the show. I think that's right. Um, yeah. Uh, I think I saw something like her her character being on this show created a super majority or something because it was it was one of the causes of their divorce and the revelations in their divorce brought that senator down or something like that. Like, if that's true, that would make me laugh. Very it's, a, much. it's a spicy take about her, that's but cool. um, yeah. Uh, Milana goes to her quarters and takes her jacket off and then asks the computer if it got colder. <laughs> and she is lucky that it wasn't the computer that asked Riker about going into the holodeck because it would have been sassy with her about that. It'd be, it'd be like, fucking make up your mind. If I don't you'd know, like try to wear your, your jacket, jacket back on. Command, lieutenant, whatever rank she is. Did it get, I'm sorry, did it get, do you feel colder now that you're just in a tank top? Is that what you're saying? 30 seconds ago, you removed your jacket. And just be like, all right, fucking Think hey. about it. Fucking hey, all right, computer. Uh, if it had said think about it, it would have pushed your execution score up to a seven, right? That's an actual, that's a thing. I have to give extra points if someone in the episode says, think about it, like the troll did. Uh, uh, Tom Paris eventually settles on gangland Chicago <laughs> during Prohibition for their honeymoon he tries to sell it to her on her deathbed as a swanky hotel experience 
Mm -hmm. The last time we saw them talking about a holodeck vacation, he was arguing for going skiing somewhere freezing cold, and all she wanted to do was go to a fucking beach and lay out in the sun. Uh Uh-huh. Now it's their honeymoon. Yes. And this dipshit wants to play... Al Capone or whatever. Uh, that episode of TNG. What the hell was the name of that? Return of the Archons. Oh, you mean TOS. TOS, yes, yeah. The one, yes. That particular one with an alternate Earth. I mean, with the Chicago gangland Earth, yes. Yes, where they left the book there, and then they learned about Chicago gangland or whatever. Right? Uh-huh. That one was from a book? Yo, I gotta yeah, be honest. That was from a book that got left behind. If aliens left a book here, I wouldn't just be like, let's do whatever's in the book. Hey, Skies? Well, there's a well, book here, aliens left it, we better do everything that's in the book. Um, That is also the plot of the Royale. So. <laughs> Those aliens were so dumb. Aliens found an Earth book and decided to do the Earth book he's got this, basically tortured that man. He's got this book, and he brings it with him. We think, we theorize, he brings it with him because it is his perfect life. And he he reads it so that he he is, like, brought solace. He's like, there is a perfect life out there, and we can give it to him. Well, anyway, my quick hitters only cover the first 13 minutes of the episode, <laughs> but that is where I stopped until we got to the end, because I was watching this with Katie. Oh, and at the good. end, after everything else happened in the whole episode, Katie turned to me and said, what the fuck was that? <laughs> and I said, that was an episode of Voyager, yes. and we have to watch 58 more. You're welcome. Yeah. If this is appointment viewing. Make sure you're here for all the rest of the Voyagers. Uh, I gave a best actor to everyone who has the dignity to die off screen and yes. worst actor to the background engineers in seven of nine's engine room, not knowing apparently that they were supposed to be tired and falling apart. <laughs> Cause she's Every, they cut it. back to her. She can't launch the fucking thing. She looks all haggard, which means her hair's a little bit out of place and they've changed her makeup a yeah, little yeah, bit. Yeah. Uh, and there's just two or three guys in the back, just walking normal pace, just not, just not acting at all. Sure, it seems like there's a lot of face melting. Like you melt in the face first. And yep. Like her outfit was not was not changed at all. She didn't nope. have like a melty boob or anything like that. Nope. <clears throat> uh, the network would never have allowed that. No. Uh no. Did, it, it, it's still bad. What's the point of having her on the show? Hey, what do? You, hey, you got the notes. <laughs> what do I have to say this every week? Don't do anything to her tits. We got to see the butt crack. More shots of the butt crack. Have her bend over, look into a big old bucket or something. Maybe she, maybe she almost falls in the bucket. The crowd will love it. The audience at home. And I, Brandon Braga, thought for sure that her nipples would always be hard. <laughs> and I'm a little bit mad now that I didn't write it into the casting I'm going to keep this in mind for future projects. I'm going to require the bolt-ons always have the hard nips. Six-inch nips. The- Give me back the uh, blue index card. <laughs> uh, did you bother to write quick hitters? You sometimes don't when you're the describer. I only wrote the one, so it was funny that uh, Ben called out all the stuff about Balana, and I could only call out the stuff about TP. Even alternate TP sucks. Do the writers hate him too? And are we supposed to hate him? I'm genuinely asking, is this 90s stuff where we were... Because the 90s, people didn't know anything. We were supposed to think he was cool in some way. Because he's such a whiny little fuck all yep. the time. Yep. Are we supposed to hate him I, or like him? Now that you bring it up, another thing that I just just now occurring to me is, there's no way that Bolana said, oh, for my wedding, let's uh, 
I heard that Harry Kim has been putting together a, a little jazz trio. He's got a little jazz combo. Let's have them play a real weird version of the Wedding March. No. That must have been Tom Paris, too. Yeah, 100%. He was wingmanning him, but now this time to get him a gig, for sure. She was like, what do you think about music? Should we just give a playlist to Neelix? Uh, we uh, could get some of those harp girls, but there's a, there's a mod. You can put them in clothes, like wear clothes. Yeah. Neelix is kind of the AV director of the ship anyway. Uh, so he probably knows how to make music play in there. And then Tom Paris is like, oh, no, no, no we're going to get Harry's band. The doctor's going to have opinions, but we probably shouldn't ask him because he's going to want to sing. So, yeah. Yeah, you're right. He's like, let Harry do it. What's Belana? What's the worst that could happen? I need <laughs> this for me. I feel like I'm in jail here. He's the one who would say that. Um... So anyway, it's kind of like how Bashir was just so shitty in the first couple of seasons. And it was like, do they, are we supposed to like him or hate him? Because why would you make one of your main, why would you make your main character so hateable? Yeah. Why would that be the These are all very good questions. Yeah, I know. I know. Anyway, that was my only quick hitter. Well, uh, in second place last week was Deep Space Nine. This week we watched... In Purgatory's Shadow. Odo is back to doing jungle gym shit in his quarters again. (laughs) Kira blows up a spot when she finds a self-help book about dating. Yeah, and then maybe she feels bad because then she tries to get him to finish the book and, and put himself out there and start dating. We know at home he's got the red hots for this lady, so he just says he doesn't he doesn't need the romance because he's a changeling or whatever. Anyway, the episode's not point, about it's this. Gonna, at some point, it's going to come out that she's always known, right? <laughs> um, she may say something like that. I don't know. She may do the bad TV thing when when he finally confesses to her, where she goes, "I guess part of me always knew." That's a possibility, right? This show is not above that. Um. Anyway, the episode's not about this. This is just... This is. I don't know why this is happening. Um, they're called the Ops, because some kind of Cardassian-coded message is coming out of the wormhole. It's coming from the Gamma Quadrant. And nobody can decipher it within five seconds, which is what Cisco demands. So <laughs> they immediately call for Garrick. We skip the part where Garrick goes to Ops. Because, by the way, I spoiler alert, they filmed, there was too many things in this episode. <laughs> it's like a lot of things in this. Yeah, this is part one of part two. They needed and I four. hope you didn't get too excited for that scene where Odo and Kira were talking about <laughs> Odo's feelings and what it means that he's a solid now and whether he can pursue romance. Because it don't come up again. They go through, there's so much shit in this episode. They needed four parts for this. Um, There's a sort of another little plot that is about romance and that Kira does have a scene in. It has nothing to do with the thing that happened no. up at the top. Odo doesn't pop his head up behind and be like, oh, actually, I had something I wanted to talk to you about. It doesn't come up. Um, yep. We cut straight to the replimat with Garrick explaining to Bashir and Zial, either Zial 2 three. or Zial 3. Zial okay. <laughs> Zial 3. Yeah. This, this is, is the final Zial. That's right. She's reached her final form. Not uh, that this is her last episode, but this is the last actress to portray her. She's she's reached her final form. She's got meteor and meltdown a little bit, and she's about she's about to get Ultima too. It's it's going really well for her. Oh, 
You said she's got meteor, and I thought you meant the actress was a little bigger than the last one. <laughs> I will allow. But no, you. I were, mean, you want to talk about yeah. it? We can talk about it. Jesus. Um, I mean, it's not. It's not a big deal. They um, I think they once they decided there was going to be a romance, they're like, we gotta age her. <laughs> they up. aged her up. A we gotta. Yeah. She looks like she's sixteen. We can't do this. And, in her last appearance, we talked about this, and we had both gotten the impression in her first episode that she was 13, yes. but probably it was just that the ship had crashed yeah. when she was 13, and she'd been there for six but or seven years, because she's canonically supposed to be 20 in this episode. But she did look young, she especially looked, in that first appearance. Yeah, in the first one, she looked like a kid, so I think they went, oh, Eric's gonna date her, huh? Well, I'm okay with her dating, with him dating a 16-year-old, but <laughs> people will complain. We'll get letters, So we better get a chick with big old cans. I'll come out of the duress. Even the boobs that got spoons on them. God. Sometimes, sometimes an experienced man of the world and a <laughs> fifteen-year-old girl are just soulmates. Who are you to judge? Love anyway. This chick's cans are gonna be popping out of her dress. It's gonna be pretty anyway, nice. Script credit to Dane Cook. <laughs> Wait, I wish that was real. That would be great. Um. Okay. Back to the fucking show. Gag explains to Bashir and Zial that it was uh, just dumb uh, planetary survey reports from five years ago that for some reason was super coded. It's not a big deal. No one look into it. It would be crazy for anybody to believe him. And of course, he immediately sets off to steal a runabout and go after the source <laughs> of the signal. But Bashir is waiting for him with a phaser. Credits. Uh, Garrick spills the beans that it was actually a distress call from good old Anabrantane, his mentor. You remember him. He had the cloaked fleet of Cardassian and Romulan ships that went to just absolutely fucking pound the Dominion planet, yeah. but it was a big setup. But that didn't work out so good because his partner in that was a Romulor. Yeah, it was a big setup. It was that guy from Detroit as a Romulan. It was. The guy who asked if the, she was a veggie. Anyway, he sends uh, he takes Garrick to Cisco. Bashir takes Garrick to Cisco, and Cisco agrees it is worth looking for the <clears throat> survivors of the Cardi Romulan fleet. And I don't know, maybe there are some Federation, some Federation people alive from the ships that have gone missing. I don't know. I'm not sure what his rationale really is in this episode. Again, it's very rushed. He sends Garrick and he, he taps Worf to go along with him. Maybe because Worf was all over him the last time they went into the Gamma Quadrant together. Could right. be. Garrick went into that closet to do closet stuff and Worf found him there and they had a little close quarters fight. I initially assumed it was because they were he was going to send out the Defiant, you know, Worf's bedroom. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that was not the case. No, they still take a runabout. Um... Worf and Dax have a farewell scene because they have to remind us that there is a romance happening between them, but that's not what the episode's about either. Zial and Garrick have a farewell, but it's interrupted by Dukat, who plays Scary Dad with Garrick. Garrick puts way too... Seriously, Garrick puts so much work into a small prank for Worf on the trip out to the location of the distress signal. And, um... Ducat confronts Kira about letting Zial get up close and personal with Garrick. And she tells him to, I don't know, she tells him to, like, bite right through the middle of a huge white dog turd. 
<laughs> she doesn't tell him critically that one year ago she put hands on Garrick to try and stop this from happening. <laughs> no, in, she doesn't. Uh, in, but you can listen to the Brother Date episode, Great Fun on Hot Rocks, if you want to hear about that. <laughs> uh, on the runabout, Worf says, that's it, we're not going any further. The, that signal, it's coming from deep within Dominion space, which I guess they do know what that is. It always seems like they just fly into the Gamma Quadrant and then random Jemadar ships show up. Uh, anyway, he's not heading in there with a runabout. Uh, Garrick plays on Worf's ideas about rescuing the crews of Federation starships lost in the Gamma Quadrant, I guess? And yep. Worf agrees to head through a nebula as a shortcut to come out closer to the signal. But fucking A, man. You know, sometimes you're going to take a shortcut and it turns out you should have gone the for the regular way. Yeah, that the, happened this time. Yeah, he goes into the nebula and there's a massive Dominion fleet in there. Uh, they attempt to flee so they can warn the Alpha Quadrant about what must be an, an invasion force. Um, but Dominion troops beam to the runabout and they attack Eric and Worf and it cuts away. Yeah, there uh, there is kind of a communications disruption. And Cisco has watched the Phantom Menace, so <laughs> he knows it can only be a prelude to invasion. That's right. Again, I say again. These guys must Cisco not have Bibble. Comcast. I'm not. I'm not pitching an episode title, but Cisco Bibble. Cisco Bibble, exactly. They must not have Comcast on that world because I was just immediately gone. Ah, oh, fucking again. Yeah, great. <laughs> this is just what I needed tonight. Tonight of all nights. Um. Back at Ops, they get part of Worf's signal. And once again, all the important words are there, but they're kind of confused about it. But along with the loss of two listening posts in the Gamma Quadrant, they ascertain that an invasion is indeed coming. Um, Cisco sends Kira with the Defiant to investigate. Luckily, we don't have to see any of that. Garrick and Worf show up at a POW camp. Like a Jem'Hadar camp for wayward Alpha Quadrant peoples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in Terminal Camp 371, the guy makes sure to tell him. There's a lot of cutting around in this episode. Back at the station, Kira comes back and confirms the invasion. Uh, then back to the camp, Worf and Garrick are, are told what their bunk will be, who they're, where they're going to stay. A guard says he's been waiting for another Klingon to show up. Yeah. He really hammers it. He wants you to know there's already a Klingon here and that you should probably look into it. Worf and Garrick find like a dumb fighting ring where General Martok, once revealed to be a changeling in the Alpha Quadrant, is in the universe's coolest fighting tournament. Actually, he's just kind of sloppily rolling around on the mat. Um, it's There's not even sand down there. No, <laughs> no sands of blood. Uh, he's not even the bravest of his race. No one claims that, for sure. Not even him. He looks actually kind of kind of annoyed and tired. He's not really into the fighting tournament. Uh, they get to their bunk, and they find Tane. That's where he is. That's where he sent the message from. But he's in bad shape. And he immediately starts criticizing Garrick for getting captured. Back on Deep Space Nine, Cisco says some bullshit about how there are no ships within two days' travel. Just none. So they're basically alone against at least 50 ships. That's what Kira saw. Or maybe Worf saw. What well, is, you know, they, just had, they just had to fight the Borg. 
in the movie First Contact. <laughs> he does mention that, too. Which haunts this season like a ghost. Yeah. Uh, Ducat is going to be there to help with his little bird of prey. But now Cisco says they're just going to seal the wormhole. But in a super safe way, so the prophets won't get hurt. Kira gives an extremely half-hearted defense of the prophets. Um, Martok talks about how Tane has been in, crawling around in the walls for months, creating a subspace transmitter. Then, guess who gets tossed back into the bunk? Straight out of isolation. Julian Bashir. Turns oh, out the one on shit. the station is a fucking fake. One of them slimy changelings. And then we get to see that one, the one on the station, bringing sandwiches and being friendly with Dax and O'Brien. Just being a really good double. Just sinister sandwiches that actually don't turn out to have any part in the plot. I mean, at some point that shit is sabotaged, but they don't show us him like watching them eating them sandwiches and being saying loudly, mm, good sandwiches, and then he's like digging around in the console or anything. Or like... O'Brien always gets always gets sleepy after he eats pastrami. <laughs> you go, O'Brien. Hot pastrami on rye, just the way you like it. It's a double. And then, like, five minutes later, he's just nodding off, and Bashir's in the back under the panel. Um. Meanwhile, Ducat disowns Zial for refusing to come with him, and because she's staying on Deep Space Nine to wait for Garrick to come back. You remember Garrick and Ducat are bitter rivals. Um, yep. Garrick's all mad that Tane wasn't grateful for him coming. And then Martok comes out to tell him and Bashir that Tane's about to beef it harder than a cheesy, beefy burrito from Taco Bell. And Tane's hallucinating and handing out crazy spy orders. Garrick humors him and reassures him that there's nothing left to worry about. But also... Garrick implores him to be a good dad for once in his miserable life. That's right, Tane is Garrick's dad. This one is full of twists and turns. I mean, this almost had to be true. Sure. But yes, he was his dad in effect, even if he wasn't his physical dad yes. at this point. So, Tane says one nice thing about one nice day they had together long ago and then dies. And I guess Garrick has to avenge him now because he cleared the very low bar of saying one nice thing. Cisco and crew are ready for the big invasion. Time to seal that hole. And they turn on the Gravitron, but dot, this has been sabotaged. No one's going to be stuck against the wall. Everyone's going to be free to mingle about on the Gravitron. The emitter array is fucked in a big way, and the Dominion ships just come snoring through the wormhole. They really waited to yep. the last minute to do that thing, huh? <laughs> like, yes. literally the second they fail at sealing it, the Dominion comes through. <laughs> yeah, it'll come up somewhere in there. I have thoughts on it. <sighs> well, anyway, to be continued, I guess. I don't know. There's a lot going on. What was this one about? Well, Ben makes a joke about daughters being harder to parent than sons, but what he says is complicated relationships between children and fathers manifest in unexpected ways later in life. And, you know, he's a dad now, so he thinks about this stuff all the time. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, so he gives it a five. Okay. And says it's more an observation than a lesson. Uh, when I immediate, when I initially finished watching this, I typed to you, oops, all plot. 
Yeah. Which tells you how I was feeling about it. I mean, they really tried to jam as much as they could into this one, for sure. So, there's a theme swirling around this episode about acceptable risk and acceptable loss. Um, Worf and Garrick are very cavalier about the danger of this mission they're undertaking. Just like, you know, just like every time anyone's ever gone to the Gamma Quadrant. Yeah, there's something about that. Uh, it's the Gamma Quadrant air, man. You just get in there and just, you want to go wild. Dax is less cavalier about it in a way that comes out as a very odd argument. And Ziel, who is a civilian, is outright worried. Right. Um, when it comes time to close the wormhole, Dukat announces to no one acceptable losses in wartime. Right. So like I said, there's a th- this theme of this idea swirling around, which is exactly enough to keep me from issuing a no-take. <laughs> But not enough to score any points. I blanked it. Wow. That's fascinating. Because, like, I'm not all up in my head like Ben about being a dad. Uh-huh. Here's what I had. Something about shitty dads. Tane's a <laughs> shitty dad. But Garrick's always going to crave his approval. Ducat's a shitty dad. But Zial doesn't seem to give a shit what he thinks about anything. So maybe, maybe it's saying that just being a father doesn't make you worthy of love. And now I'm really scared because I definitely don't think I'm worthy of love independent of parenthood. And it's kind <laughs> of the reason I became a dad. Like, so a kid would have to love me. And so I definitely, you're saying shots fired? Yeah, well, I definitely think everybody would say they agree with this. So it's not a hot take. I also believe there are many shitty dads out there who probably do think their kids should love and respect them because. So points i guess i gave it a six. <laughs> oh, we're so far <laughs> apart Ow. um but like i said i'm not worried about parenting stuff that's not on my mind even when i'm doing this project <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh execution. let's talk about execution here ben's pick of the week Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. Uh, what I highlighted from his comments, he gave it a seven execution. Um, hmm. Okay, so the beginning was confusing. I thought that was important to point out. And uh, he liked that the changeling impersonation deals getting personal. One of the few part ones that really made him want to know the resolution in part two. Um... This episode is so manically paced. Yes. Just flying from scene to scene, location to location. But also, they could have just cut half the scenes if they were so worried about moving the plot along. Because it's just weird character work for Dukat or Zial or other minor characters. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's lots of plot stuff to cut. We don't need Kira to go to... But they don't show it to us. We don't need her to go there at all. We know it's an invasion. We don't need Kira and Odo hanging out. We don't need... Yep. We just, like, there's so... like Every other scene you go, well, you don't really need that. So why are, why are we doing it? If you're going to just fucking zoom around the rest of the episode. It's also so full of twists. Martok is alive, who they previously found was a changeling. But they assumed he was dead. Bashir has been doubled. That don't make no sense. Tane is no. alive, briefly, and is Garrick's dad. Yep. And Breen's have no blood? 
Yeah. Maybe the biggest twist of all. And then huge plot developments. They got a plan. They're going to seal the wormhole off. That's the whole show is the wormhole, unfortunately. There's a huge Dominion invasion that's coming. And guess what, buddy? <laughs> there are no ships. It's, a, it's like a wild, out-of-breath episode. It feels coked out. The whole episode feels coked out. <laughs> Was there a showrunner at this point, or were the inmates just running the asylum? Because I couldn't see any vision in this episode. They had to do it without that uh, grip who died. <laughs> that this episode was in memory of. Well, maybe that was on their minds. Maybe he was a calming presence on set. Yeah. But it has a lot of Garrick, which I like. And it has some Dukat, who, who sucks, but Alemo is pretty good. And a lot of shit does suddenly happen after years of stalling, which kind of, which really does feel like a relief. So I didn't hate it. I just don't think it's a good episode. I gave it a four. Well, I was a three looking at a four, so I'm going to give it a four also. Okay. Um, yeah, so like you said, with Garrick and Tane and Dukat and Martok floating around, the acting is up, the drama is up in this episode. That's not bad. Uh, I'm glad someone else finds the all's relationship with Garrick off-putting. <laughs> Obviously, the stakes keep going up and up the whole time. Yeah. But it's half an episode. Sure. And at the end of the day, I don't think it stands alone real well. No. I think if you were watching in a sort of random syndicated order and it played this episode, and then it was like the next time you turned on Deep Space Nine, it was uh, Move Along Home, you'd be pissed. (laughs) Or the baseball episode, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'd always be pissed if it was the baseball episode, but yes. Um, So like you, I'm a four. Uh, world building, yeah. uh, Ben's another five. We get a Dominion POW camp. He thinks that doesn't really seem like them. Although the very first time we ever saw them, <laughs> they, they took Cisco prisoner and the, and let's walks say, talking about so all far the, cool the most stuff. eloquent Jem'Hadar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all the cool stuff they already knew about the Alpha Quadrant. Uh-huh. I was just walking around being yeah. like, by the way, I've heard of Benzites. Bet you didn't think they could know that stuff, but I know about Benzites. Uh, it's a, been a month since Baby O'Brien was born, and at least a month since Bashir's been gone. I guess no one is keeping up anti-changeling precautions anymore. Yeah, um, I got a crazier one than that. What else happened in that episode where that baby was born? Uh, there was a baby changeling that, that Bashir was there, helping yes, them with that died. That's right. He did help them with the baby changeling. He, In a way, he oversaw... Well, listen, it's crazier than that. So, <laughs> The Bashir, changeling died? Well, I, you think I, the changeling would care about that? Well, let's jump right to it. <laughs> uh, so they don't say how long Bashir's been no. a changeling in this. But Bashir is wearing the old uniform. Yeah, that's not good. And the new uniforms were introduced in the episode where Cisco discovers the obelisk. <laughs> I remember that, yes. And in that episode, Bashir performs brain surgery on Cisco. <laughs> so good it's so, so good how little thought they put into this Bashir plot Uh huh. and they could have walked it back by just putting him in a dirty version of the new uniform yeah and then we wouldn't have been like well well hang on now this seems like 
he's been he was kidnapped before that so he did the brain surgery he delivered the baby he oversaw yeah. the baby changeling which died i feel like this is important the changeling wouldn't want the yeah. baby changeling to die no i wouldn't think so then no one of changeling has ever killed another changeling etc yeah so that is all in here and like you said that is a real mixed bag there is some other world building mm. uh runabout replicators have a limited menu somehow yeah i never understood yeah sure uh, Breen's don't have blood. Yeah. It's not really talked about at all, but no, that throwaway with, line is intriguing. Do with that what you will. Uh, we, it was never stated for sure, but it turns out we have probably never met the real Martok. Yeah, probably the one who was hanging over Gowron's shoulder in that first, the battle at Deep Space Nine. He he was probably a fake one. He was a change. He says to Worf, when, when Worf introduces himself, he specifically says, I've heard of you. Yes. Yep. And we know they met uh, in that we, episode. Remember, he stole right, Martok's yes. son's knife. Yeah. yeah. It, he would remember. Yeah. Uh, we see the death of an Abrantane. Uh Also, of course, the war begins in earnest. Uh, we think. Like, I mean, the, they came snoring the out invasion. of that wormhole. The invasion happens. Yeah. So. There's definitely world building this week. I gave it five points. I could see six even. Uh, well, you're only going to get five out of me. I gave it five. Um, yeah. Worf? Worf is afraid his operas will get lost. That Dax will mm-hmm. misplace his rods? His opera uh-huh. rods? Uh-huh. Can he just lime wire them shits again? <laughs> they only exist on those rods? Yeah, I promise you, I thought about this for about 15 minutes uh, when the episode was over. It made me so And I was like, maybe he can get them from the ships, but from the computer, but because they're Klingon opera and there's not that much demand, he can only get, like, compressed versions, (laughs) and if he wants to get high-quality performances, he has to beam them in from the Klingon Empire, and that sucks up bandwidth, and you have to (laughs) schedule it or something, so he keeps them on those rods. Here's what I will say. This sounds like the problem I have when a K-pop group releases a Japanese record. And the Japanese, <laughs> they don't play with iTunes. You know why? Because they got to give iTunes money, and they don't want to do that. Yep. So I can't download them on iTunes, which is how I do it. But this is 2022. We're talking about 2370, whatever. Should be better than this. These fuckers should have had this figured out. Uh... Uh, Tane came up with a, a personally designed secret code that's, that Garrick recognized when he saw it. Um, Martok. Yeah, it and, replaces the first. It replaces the. spells the number, but with the number as the first letter of the number. Yep. <laughs> it's in, indecipherable. That's his system. Martok and Worf shed some more light on the rules about suicide in prison for Klingons so that. So that Martok's existence can make sense. Because <laughs> they're like, I don't, aren't you supposed to commit? I love that Garrick is not cool at all. He's just, no. well, shouldn't you be fucking dead then, you little bitch? Why didn't you kill yourself? And Martok has, Mark and Worf have to explain that, uh, I, I, well, not when there are still enemies to fight, or also hope of escape. Yeah, Subclause Hard. 8 says, Good that luck as defining long as that. If there's even one seven foot diameter circular fighting pit then <laughs> you're still good which actually seems more like a tripping hazard than anything then, really then yes you can as long as you fight in it you can keep you know you can it's, it doesn't count as waiting it honestly does seem like that rope barrier around a sumo uh uh-huh. 
Um, anyway, uh, Breen have no blood. Okay, sure. Uh, Martok was hunting saber bear. That sounds. Don't do that. Stay away from the no, saber. That sounds bear. dangerous. And then uh, Garrick, I guess, one time was on a riding hound, like a big, <laughs> like a big Cardassian mastiff or something. Uh huh. More changeling infiltrators. Again, what are the precautions they're taking, as Ben points out? Is anybody getting blood tested out here, or is it the same thing that they've already done, where the one taking the blood test can just change it, and he's the one doing it? Um, Dominion POW camps, where they keep the people they double? That seems like that's what this camp is all about. It does, although I don't think there's any reason to believe there's a double of an Auburn Tain out No, there. everyone's pretty sure he's dead. Yeah. A safe way to seal the wormhole, in theory. Trill theory. I don't know why they asked the Trill about it, but that's fine. Um, Big old invasion. There was so much happening here. I didn't hold anything against it in particular. It was weird that it just all had to happen at once. Everything just all happened. But uh, yeah, it was a five. What about characterization? Ben also had this as a seven. That's a big one. Uh, he said Garrick seemed like he was happy Bashir caught him leaving. And he's always happy to see Bashir. They're like, uh, they're besties. He says Martok seems like a nice guy. That is definitely what they were going for. <laughs> yep. Like, we gotta make Martok, like, super cool. He's the coolest. Just always has positive vibes. Uh, Garrick desperately wants Bashir to know him. Um... And he says, I remember having a problem with this episode before, because if Bashir has been fake for a month, does that mean he or the fake helps with the birth of the O'Brien baby, which we already mentioned? Um, I wasn't anywhere near that high. I give it a four. Despite how bad things ended with Tane, Garrick feels like he has to go save his dad. That's right. Tane's his real life dad, but like... Their relationship is so fucked that Tane doesn't even want to admit it to to Garrick. It's like if my dad just suddenly was like, "You're you're not my son." It's just very. It's a very straight. Like you can't fool me. Like I what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, anyway, like I said, Garrick puts just so much work into a mild prank for Worf. Yes. On that runabout. Like, joke's on you, Worf. You read my letter and we're not convinced. Uh, Worf and Dax are still dating. Worf is easily convinced to take a big risk and is captured because of it. Zial is just full-on in love with Garrick now, and she refuses to leave the station with her dad. Dukat and Garrick still have issues. Dukat and Kira still have issues. Kira keeps talking about how the baby recognizes her. It's not about that. <laughs> There's a lot of Kira stuff in here. This is the episode's not about it. They could have cut it. Um, it's true. She's worried about the prophets, but only like, like the writers forgot all about how she'd feel about the wormhole being sealed. And then on set, Nana Visitor was like, "Shouldn't Kira not like that idea?" 
<laughs> like she raises like one ob- one half-hearted objection, and Cisco's like, "It's fine. They're, they're fine. Don't worry about." Yeah, that was very cursory. Don't worry about the prophets. They're gonna be just fine. Um, the only character bits are the ones that I was talking about in my take. Just the just the father son and father daughter stuff. The Garrett part works better than the Ducat part. Um, so just a four for me. Uh, I was even one lower. I was a three. Okay. Uh, Worf and Dax continue to be unlikable. Yeah. And it sucks that Worf gets goaded into a sunken cost fallacy by Garrick, because that's a low-rent play for the guy who has been the master manipulator so far, mm. for his whole argument as to why they should go into this fucking nebula to be, we've come this far. Also, don't you want to be more honorable? Yeah, it's not right, great, yeah. but then also they make it work, because Worf is dumb. Worf is dumb. We do know that about him. Yeah. There's a little peek at something interesting with Odo and Kira at the beginning, but the episode's not about that. Nope. Of course, Dukat is going to be mad about Garrick dating his daughter of uncertain age. Mm-hmm. For me, the big problem is Cisco is missing from this episode, characterization-wise. Uh-huh. Yeah, you'd think he'd have some cool space dad advice from the coolest space mm-hmm. dad. Yep, he has got no space dad advice. Also, what does it mean to him personally as the emissary? to close the wormhole like he's been coming to terms more and more with his role yeah he went with the other emissary into the wormhole where they confirmed that he was the one yep i remember that guy and he had ecstatic fantasies and hallucinations about this city yeah and you've underground at the end of that episode he only pretended to forgive jake we were all clear on that right when jake chose his life over the visions that was some bullshit now now he's going to close the wormhole. Uh, what does that mean to him? I don't understand. Him? What are you talking about? He asked the Trill Science Academy or whatever they're, whatever he, whoever he asked. And I they said it was a, totally cool. It's true. And if the Trill say it's cool, he's never personally uncovered any evidence that they're <laughs> not as cool about stuff as they claim to be. So, <laughs> Well, he did get his Trill expert on it, Kira. Detective Kira. That is true. Um, I just—it's a big miss for me, and it's the the writers don't know what to do with Cisco. No, he he gets Counselor Troy level writing most episodes <laughs> now. Anything His where job, it feels like it might be important for him to be involved, he's weirdly missing. I think that's Kira treatment yeah. as well. Yeah, sure. Like he he's been reduced from the star of this show to the boss. He's the boss on the station. Yeah. And not even like a cool, quirky boss like a Jimmy James. No, he's not uh, Captain Raymond Holt of the 9-9. <laughs> no. He's not a cool boss. No. So, to me, that sucks. I do have some quick hitters, though. All right, go for it. Uh, ben says the Gemini captain was a bad actor. I didn't think his acting was that bad, frankly. I didn't really know. I thought... Him. It was a continuation of the thing where the lead Jem'Hadar are much more charismatic than the followers, except with the exception of that one Jem'Hadar who just makes crazy eyes at Dax when he finds out her age. <laughs> that was my favorite that guy, guy in that episode. Great for sure. face acting. Yeah. He, but no, he was good uh, in every part of that. She was like, <laughs> whatever age she said she thought he was, he was like, whoa, whoa. Uh, that's like... 
that's hallowed terror. Like if I made it that old, I'd be an honored elder or whatever. But the the look he gives her, he's like, uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, and then yes, when she says she's three hundred or whatever, he loses his shit. Uh, my quick hitters uh, in memory of Derek Garth. That's uh, he was a grip on the show who was killed in a car accident during the filming of this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't be coy, Kira. Just come out and say everyone wants to fuck a changeling because they can have as many dicks as they want. Like, That's right, you could put two uh, or three in me, whatever. Up to fifty dicks. <laughs> yeah, well, any more than that, I think is you're breaking uh, sector rules. Yeah, I have my normal confusion about Zial's age. I said, wait, she's like fifteen, right? And then I looked it up, and it turns out she would have been twenty during this okay. episode. Still way too young to be interested in old ass Garrett. Yeah, Garrett feels like he's been around just for so long. Like Again, he is the enemy of her father. Yeah. At one point wasn't he like I don't know, basically the second most important spy in all of Cardassia or something? I mean it's very hard to tell, but it it does seem like there were there must have been some point where he was Tane's number two. Yeah, I get the feeling he's been around for mm, quite a while. Uh, yeah, then I said, uh, replicators and computers exist. Who cares if Dax loses your mini discs? Uh, with Worf's record, he probably shouldn't make jokes about killing foreign nationals. Like, he makes a little joke about he, if he has to kill Garrick, he'll bring his body back intact. And Cisco says, you're joking, right? And he says, we'll see. And it's like, yeah. hey, bud, I'd write a letter in your file. <laughs> says you did there's a le- Do you know there's a letter in your file? Says you yeah. did a cool political assassination. Whoever designed these uniforms for first contact designed them for standing up. And in this episode, there were like four or five times where someone was sitting down and the jacket collar gets like bunched up under the rank pips or covers <laughs> two of them or something. It's like pushing up into uh, the bottom of their chin. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So definitely designed to stand in heroic poses yeah. uh, and not designed to... Uh, well, you know, they had spacesuits on or a white tuxedo when they were doing all the action stuff. So. Yeah, I thought it was designed for the top to be completely discarded, so you were just like, tough in your undershirt. <laughs> that too. So Cisco thinks an attack is imminent. That's what he gets from Worf's message. Mm-hmm. And the, as you said, the destruction of two listening posts. And he sends the Defiant away. Sure. <laughs> is anyone going to question that? And Starfleet. Well, I don't know. They're going to be like, so you knew there were no other ships around. And when you heard there was an attack coming, the first thing you did was send Kira out in the Defiant. <laughs> That's true. But I mean, who do they have to blame? Why aren't there any ships around? Hey, Starfleet. Well, of course. Hey. Of course there is that also. Why don't you fucking put some ships over there? Maybe fucking once. Then whose dumb policy is it to announce to the prisoners that they're at internment camp 371 why give them any information at all about where they are yeah sure yeah but i mean haven't these guys seen the prisoner they know everything about else about the alpha quadrant yeah supposed to be a big mystery you have to unravel exactly yeah do you think that shows any good uh i I watched it as an adult but we thought was the pilot we think we watched the first episode and it obviously was terrible but marjan wanted (laughs) to watch more of it i don't we never did but she seemed intrigued it was terrible. So reinforcements are two days out, but Cisco is going to blow the wormhole in 36 hours. <laughs> That's his plan? 
I'll give them 36 hours. Yes, that's almost all of the time before reinforcements start arriving. Yeah. I don't know but, why once you, you figured know, out what you had to do. The Dominion will have to arrive before that. Once you figure out what they what you needed to do, why? I mean, what are we waiting for? Let's just... um. Yep. Let's fucking cock up that hole. You know? Well, it. I mean, it 100% ends up being just like Janeway earlier today. Uh, it, it's too late to do that plan. You got to do it right away. You can't. It's not a decision you can come back to later. That's right. I guess theoretically, maybe they needed thirty six hours to do the deflector adjustments. Well, if they, then again, it's incredible timing because the very instant it fails, the no. ships come out of that thing. Ah, oh, we already talked about Bashir. Uh, Jort has kind of a tough one this week. Yeah. Uh, in a crucial scene, he mispronounces an Auburn. <laughs> He says, like, and Yibren. <laughs> and earlier in the episode, he says, Jem'Hadar Sensars. <laughs> I actually heard him say Sensars. <laughs> uh, well, look, who doesn't have a Lieutenant Yuhara in them every once in a while, you know? They're, they're <laughs> it's, acting. A, it's a good question. They're acting hard, as hard as they can. <laughs> What's happening to Lieutenant Yuhara? <laughs> Uh, rest in peace, Nichelle Nichols. I don't think we mentioned that. Yeah, she, that's true. she did pass, but after the last time we recorded a Star Trek. That's because this is not a general Trek podcast. This is an anti-Trek podcast. <laughs> um, talking about sending runabouts. Do you think runabouts are like the literal combat ship? Mm. They spent a lot of money on them, but no one. No one really wants them, and they kind of just get shoved down everyone's throat. Starfleet, <laughs> you know, if uh, Cisco sends the Defiant, Starfleet's going to be on the horn with him, saying, "You have three perfectly good runabouts you could have used." <laughs> Do you know how much more gas you burn in the Defiant? That's right. Yeah. Do you know how many more self improvement credits it takes to run the <laughs> Defiant than to send a runabout? <laughs> I definitely get the feeling the Defiant was. I mean, the uh, runabouts were born out of some asshole trying to justify his own position. At whatever mm-hmm. whatever ship designing bureau or whatever, he's like, uh, "What if there was? What if the shuttles were bigger?" <laughs> Catch me on the really, lake, buddy. I'm I'm retiring. I'm retiring. They on really this treat idea. them like like full starships. They have their own registries and names. Uh-huh. It's not like this is Runabout Three. This is Deep Space Nine Runabout Three. Mm-hmm. It's it's the Yangtze King or whatever. Yeah, you can put little photon launcher pods on them and stuff. Yeah. Do all kinds of shit. But anyway, that was his idea, and he retired on it. He was like, I'm the guy who came up with bigger shuttles. Duh. <laughs> you know me. Uh, and then do you think that the Trill have good scientists because they live essentially forever and science is slow? Do you think that's why they, they were the ones who came up with this wormhole shit? Oh, maybe, yeah. Because there was some dude who was studying wormholes for 200 years, <laughs> even though no one cared. <laughs> that could be it. It's true. You can just if you're allowed to. I don't know. Are you allowed to carry on your other, your other hosts' careers? Well, I mean, none of Dax's did really. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I gave best actor to Garrick and uh, worst actor to Dax. Trying to quick turn that argument into being about the opera rods. So <laughs> I like that. That's the actress's fault. <laughs> well. I mean, it didn't. Eat it. I didn't. I didn't understand it. That's all I'm gonna say. Eat it, Terry Farrell. You're a bad girlfriend. No, I didn't come here to argue about the danger. I I came for these. These are my rods now, and I and I I shall, shall listen to them, and you will have to come back to get them. 
Um, I only have one quick hitter. Marjan thought she made up the racist term spoonhead. <laughs> and did not wonder to herself why she was making up racist names for people. Right, what was going on inside her that she did that? Why, was she in set like three? I don't understand. Why Why would she have been the one to come up with the racist term? But she said she thought she came up with it because the heads do look like they got spoons on them. Oh, everyone immediately understands why they call them that. <laughs> and I said, what are you talking What are you talking about, though? What do you mean? Why would you have come <laughs> up with that term? When? And what? Why? What would that have happened? <laughs> anyway, that was it. <clears throat> well, first place last week was The Next Generation. Mm. Might not happen this week. This week we watched Hero Worship. <laughs> The Enterprise rolls up on the USS Vico, a research vessel that has been out of contact in the Black Cluster mm-hmm. for two days, and it's an Oberth-class ship cracked like an egg. Yeah, it's all broken. Riker, Geordi, and Data beam over to the wreck and try to get into their computer, get their logs, find out what happened, but while they're there, they find a wounded kid they weren't expecting under, like, a lot of rubble. But don't worry. It's the kind of rubble that just pins you. It doesn't hurt you. Uh Uh-huh. He's not injured in any way. Uh, They can't get him out with the transporter beam. Uh, So the only way to get him out safely is if Data lifts up some of the I-beams and rocks that are on him. And once again, Riker has to throw his little rod away. I'll disappoint Uh him. (laughs) He's like, oh, man. Data's just like, I can lift that. And Riker's like, oh, man. This just happened to me last week. Yeah. So, by the way, Worf should clearly have taken Data down there. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I know. I didn't understand why Riker went down in the first place. But again, very happy with the decision. More Riker. Happy to let him leave the bridge. I'm. I'm happy to see Frakes whenever. Anyway, there's a danger that the whole ship will fall apart once he starts moving the beam, so everyone else goes home first, um, which leaves the kid alone with Data, and he's real impressed by Data's crazy strength. That when he finds out he's an android. And he clings to him in uh, sick bay when he's faced with uh, terrifying Dr. Crusher. Yeah, well, nobody told this kid that there are many species possessed of mega strength. Exactly. He tells them the story of a big ship that came out of nowhere and intruders with purple helmets and phaser rifles. Mm-hmm. And his name is Timothy, and he won't let go of Data's hand. <sighs> Later... Jordy and Data have a little chat about childhood trauma while they try to reconstruct the logs. It turns out Jordy was caught in a house fire before he got his first visor. And even though it wasn't really a big deal, he didn't feel safe unless he knew exactly where his parents were for a while. So the consensus is in. Data's got to be this kid's dad for a little bit. It's exciting. This is an exciting time yeah. for Data. He's going to write a lot of letters to to Dr. Lieutenant. What was the guy's name? The guy who tried to take him apart. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, fucking, uh, I almost said you know, Baxter. from Measure of a Man. I almost said Baxter, that's day. not right. <laughs> you know the guy. You, you know, know the, the guy. Commander, right? Yeah, whatever. Who cares about that guy? Uh, Maddox? No. Maddox. Yeah, Maddox. Yeah. Maddox. He's probably yeah. writing letters to that guy all about how he got to be this little boy's hero this week or whatever. Uh, Timothy acts out a little bit at school. Troy's worried about him. On the bridge, the evidence 
starts to sort of weakly coalesce towards a possible Breen attack. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't have blood, uh, which is important. Yeah, anyways. well, there's, it's fine. There's no blood on the ship. Because, yep. in fact, this is where Jordy overhears for the first time that the kid said there was a boarding party. And he doesn't think so. There was no evidence of anyone on the ship. Well, I'm glad, but I'm glad they asked the kid to go down and help out in engineering so they could talk take a talk amongst themselves about the thing that he said and how crazy it was. Jordy <laughs> says he's surprised the kid even brought it up. <laughs> uh, uh, Picard asks Troy if Timothy could be lying, and as usual, her answer is, I don't know, man. <laughs> he's going through it. In the beginning of the episode, Marjan and I were watching together, and I said to her, uh, this must be one of those ones where Troy's written out of the episode because like, she'd be able to tell what was happening. And then, of course, that she comes in and she's just like, well, I, I mean, I think he, I, se- I sense no deception. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's right. There is the other version of Troy who just says she doesn't know every time. Right. Yeah. Her big idea is for Data to keep working with him because they've made the Roostai, the bonding. Yes, absolutely. They were in the blue room and all that. The, the, what's the blue room and everything. Uh, but she doesn't give him specific instructions. So he just goes to the kid's bedroom and critiques his model of the Dakarian <laughs> temple of Krab Kalash or whatever. <laughs> and the kid has big emotions about it. Yeah. And Data tries to smooth it over. So when he gets called away, he builds the rest of the model at stratagema speed. Mm. And, uh, and when Timothy is still is again pretty blown away by Android shit, Data accidentally lets slip so that he has no emotions, including and especially sadness. Yes. <laughs> he, he, said to him, Timothy, fact, he said to him, recently my dad died too, and I don't feel anything uh-huh, and about it. And I didn't it. feel anything about I it. I feel yeah. no things at all. <laughs> I just went about my business, my regular life. Yeah, so Timothy immediately starts playing Android in the mirror, um, but no one gets a chance to be creeped out by it until after a, a briefing about how tricksy the Black Cluster is and the possibility that an enemy could roll up undetected, because sure. that's when Troy goes to check on him and he's got a black and yellow pullover on and he tells her he's an Android. Uh-huh. He's like not a great Android, though. No. He's still fully torqued about a gross looking ice cream sundae when she brings him to 10 forward uh so she has a little call with data and picard in the ready room and says he's rebuilding his identity the android persona is probably just a step along the way everybody should just fucking play along so data takes the boy to android school yes finally um by which i mean he does stuff like double brushing this kid's hair yeah taking him to a doctor's appointment like androids always go to exactly right painting Uh pretending to yawn all the things androids are known for throughout the Mm -hmm. universe somehow beaming the palette and brush out of the kid's hand before he sets him down to sleep because there's a bad edit (laughs) uh the ship gets into the black cluster for real now and starts hitting turbulence which they were expecting and which Jordy smooths out and they detect something off the starboard bow but it disappears and then reappears to port and then back to start anyway it's sensor distortions and you know Worf is embarrassed about this because just a couple of weeks ago they kept talking about the lieutenant sensors yep and yep. weird sensor echo that didn't turn out to be anything and it's he like now has he's an full ass again. ownership over the sensors especially when things are going wrong yep uh Data and Troy see Timothy laugh in class, and for the second week in a row, a dumb man tells Troy that he's fixed the problem A++ would buy again. (laughs) 
but she tells him not to get ahead of himself and suggests that he explain his all of his Pinocchio shit to this kid yeah. to help get him the rest of the way there. So it's back to dessert. Absolutely. Uh, ship gets deeper into the cluster. The sensors become useless. So no joke. Picard just has Worf shoot the phasers at full power Thank straight God. ahead. Thank fucking God. If, you know what? Everyone's always suggesting it. And I'm just <laughs> like, I really respect that Picard was just like, I'm going to beat him to the punch this time, man. I'm going to be like, what if we shot the, what if we shot the black cluster? What if the black cluster is an Armis or something and it needs to be uh-huh. taken down a peg? <laughs> there could be a Nagilum in here. Could yeah, be any fucking I mean, any thing. Any fucking thing could be in here. I know Q is vulnerable to phasers. So let's just uh-huh. fucking fire first and ask questions later. <laughs> Full power wharf. If you could go up to 180% power, I would appreciate it. Can we shoot it out of the deflector dish? I'm pulling a straight Riker here. Can we do it? Well, the phasers fork around like lightning bolts, so at this point it seems basically impossible that a ship-to-ship attack could have happened at all. Yeah. So they call Timothy up to the ready room, and Data tells him androids don't lie, and now we get the second version of his story. Hmm. Timothy says everything was shaking and he fell and he hit a random ass button on the goofy ass Elcar's panel. <laughs> and that's what destroyed the ship. Like, I'm not going to say he's wrong. I had, he could have hit anything. No one knows what's on those panels. Well, everyone knows that ain't right, because if that was even possible, ships would just be falling out of the sky and crashing into San Francisco and Paris constantly. Sure. And while they're telling him that the turbulence starts up again. And uh, Timothy says, oh, this is how it all started. So Picard says, fuck it. We got to get out of here. He tries to go to warp two. He also says to the boy on the way out, he says to him, the cycle ends here. He does. The cycle ends here. (laughs) And then we don't see it, but he calls O'Brien and tells him, listen, there's this kid. (laughs) Just uh, when I give you the signal, you'll know what to do. Uh, They can't get to warp. So they go full shields and the ship really starts getting rocked. Riker, of course, just starts screaming about more shields. We need more shields. And <laughs> Timothy says, that's what they kept saying. More shields. Yeah. And Data runs off to Science 2 as another huge wave rocks the ship. He's very nice. He takes the boy with him to Science 2. He does. Jordy, well, he knows the boy's still his problem. <laughs> Jordy wants to hook the shields up directly to the warp engines. And guess what? <laughs> Timothy says, yeah, they tried to do that too. And suddenly Data tells Picard to drop the shields. And... Although Riker yells at him, Picard acquiesces, and no, sure enough, the but you're wave... not wrong. He tells Picard to drop the shields. He does. Uh, the wave dissipates harmlessly, and Data tells everybody that he now he's figured out that dumping warp power into the shields is what destroyed the Vico, and Enterprise gets out of there safely. Yeah. Uh, we see Timothy is no longer an android, though he's not. There, we're sure his healing is far from over. Hmm. And Timothy asks if they can still do things together. And Data says, yeah, you can be one of my human friends. And he do- what he doesn't say is, oh, you're not going to be around very long. I <laughs> I hope your aunt and uncle are nice. Yeah. He says, uh, hey, I got you a ticket. I got you a plane ticket. Straight to Minsk. Uh-huh. Enjoy Minsk. <laughs> I hear it's great like this Minsk. time of year. It's where we send all of the Federation's orphans. Straight to <laughs> Minsk. Matt, what's this one about? Uh, Ben first said, life sucks sometimes, and when it does, you gotta do what you gotta do to survive. Even turn off your emotions. And that's only a three. And that makes sense as a take for that statement. Um, I had the terrible truth. (laughs) It's it's preferable 
to to a, a pleasant lie or whatever we normally say again. Star Trek take number one. Did you give it a five again? I give it a five. <laughs> see the kid. <laughs> you get see see with me. The kid wants to be an android, so he doesn't have to feel his feelings so very much. But he he comes to learn it isn't so cool to be a droid because you can't the taste of the ice cream. So <laughs> it's just a five. <laughs> Yeah, and um, I identified it as, uh, I think, my usual version of this take. Um, I said there were a few things going on here. This is the fifth or sixth episode where the real take is something like, you can't hide from your trauma, you have to process it. Mm -hmm. But even in this episode, it's something everyone already knows. No shit, yeah. (laughs) Everyone knows this android shit isn't going to last, and they don't even try to shake it out be a 38-year-old doing that shit anymore. Right. Yeah, he's just been an android for 20 years. No one can figure it out. He's just, he's he's an android now. Yeah, no one is really worried about that. Everyone's like, that's fine. This is a, he's going through it. This is a phase. You don't have to take him to the blue room or anything. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of moments where the episode threatens to become about how Data feels about himself and whether he should wish to be human. Sure. But it backs away from that in the end. So it's that trauma take again, and it's it's not inspiring. Um, I gave it a three. Okay. What about execution? Ben's a four. He says it's a stinker. Um, it's not about hero worship at all. The kid is traumatized and guilt ridden. Yeah, the kid's trying to hide from reality, but that's not his fault. So it's just a normal ass trauma, seeing everyone he loves and uh, knows die. So yeah. Also, he says way too much data. He's not wrong. Uh, this episode does a couple of things pretty okay. Voyager would have had it just be a random alien attack. Yeah. Deep yes. Space Nine might have even had it be an accident the kid caused, and now he's going to have to deal with it for the rest of his <laughs> life. true. Yes, that's their dark way to do it. <laughs> but in this one, it was just an accident, and the kid never even really understood what was happening. Uh, this week, the people on the ship listened to the mental health professional. Mm. Uh, the writers didn't make the kid go full-on loony. Like, he's playing Android, but he's not good at it. Sure, yeah. But it's the bonding. It is 100% And it's suddenly human. And it's Well, yes, sure it is. And it's even new ground. And that aired last week. Well, I did have to explain. God, I had to explain in great detail what the Banar was to Marjan. <laughs> And then I made her bing. <laughs> Talarian Endar hair. <laughs> and when she binged it, did you say, now remember, he's sneaky big. She picked a front view and I said, this is some bullshit. I think you're trying not to find what I'm I'm asking you to find. And so I immediately <laughs> found a screenshot of that nasty rat tail. Just, just poking around in the back out there. Sorry. Uh... Well, anyway, this show comes off a little bit obsessed with kids dealing with their incomprehensible emotions. Mm. And then I remembered and I said, oh, is it also One Moon Circles? Uh, yeah, I mean, those were just some jacked, oily, te- some, some oily as smooth as hell teenagers or whatever. No, no, no. One, one Moon Circles has just the, the scared Betazoid oh. who doesn't, is the only survivor of that wrecked up show. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's just uh, not, is it McLaughlin? Is that who it is? Not McLaughlin? It's the guy who seems yeah, like McLaughlin? No, I- it was either Kyle McLaughlin or a guy who looks just like okay, him. Right. Uh, so this ended up being like a clip show that cost as much to make as a regular show and took as much work as a regular show. Yeah. 
because it just rehashes all of those episodes. Still, you know I like my quiet TNG episodes, even if I had a really viscerally bad reaction to data brushing this kid's hair. Didn't like it either. I hated it entirely, but I gave this a five. Okay. Uh, did you give the take a three? Yeah. Okay, we're flipped because I gave the execution a three. Um, all data had to tell this kid to stop all the Android bullcrap was, I can't taste the ice cream, buddy. And that makes me pray <laughs> for death every day. <laughs> the ice cream will never make me jizz myself with the pleasures or make me feel super guilty about making my double chin worse during the ice cream refractory period. <laughs> and that's it. The kid's like, oh, I'm out on this shit. One of 40 separate times in TNG alone that the anomaly was feeding on the race. Yep. <laughs> they never learned their lesson. They honestly, Picard should be like, all right, uh, he could go ship on with this. All right, we're going to try um, remodulating the shields to smooth this out. But as everybody knows, about <laughs> half the time, this is gonna the weird worse. thing in space feeds on the race. So everyone be ready to reverse this decision really quickly. Yeah, we may end up turning everything off. Instead, in this one, it escalates really fast and they almost lose the ship. Yeah, and as always, right before Riker confidently says, it was feeding on the race or whatever. He's like, more <laughs> fucking shields. Uh, he screams at Data, Data, that's suicide. <laughs> and then one second later after it's fixed, he's like, of course. As anyone could see. Like, Data's been wrong about three times in the whole series when he says something like this. And mm. one time it was that lie about Pell Underhill's fucking <laughs> theory that everything <laughs> everything gets has to be put right that once went wrong. Uh-huh. Yes, exactly. Well, it was also Amber Amber Blue or whatever. He didn't do so yeah. good on that yeah, one. Yeah, he fucked that one. He That's wasn't true. so good at the Iconian stuff, but he was very confident about it. He um, was, and it, it it caused problems, frankly. That scene where Data builds that temple super quick was very bad. The fast oh, motion extremely work bad. looked so jittery and terrible and wasn't even that fast. It made me sad. They probably spent $200,000 on that scene. <laughs> and it looked like fucking shit. Um, you just, uh, when you see a bad scene like that, do you just scream, you could have had a Countach. <laughs> That's right. Somebody could have. Uh, full of quiet conversations, and everybody is very earnest in their desire to help this kid remember what blew up his parents. I don't think anybody cares about his ground beef parents or the trauma he's feeling. They really need to figure out what's happening in this cluster, though. Yeah, they really are. They really care about the mystery. Only Troy and maybe Data, to the extent that he has emotions, care at all about the kid. Yes. Um, just a three from me this week. Just feel like a lot of people made a lot of bad choices and I didn't understand what was happening at home. World building. Um, Starbase 500 something, they said. They got a lot of those things if that's how they're named. More than ships, apparently. Which is way more than ships. Those things must be empty all the time. Just no ships visiting any of these star bases. Um, the Black Cluster, the USS Vico. Dude, copying files is so much work in the future. Maybe that's why those rods are so important. You gotta use that purple <laughs> laser? What? You gotta set up the yeah. big purple laser to copy everyone's files? 
Yeah, they had to laser them into that little MIG welder and then laser them back <laughs> out, huh? It's insane. <laughs> and there's like, no safety precautions at all. Picard almost puts his hand into the purple laser in engineering. Hey, yeah. why what are if you that leaning given on him it? Unlimited knowledge. <laughs> it's true. Right into him. He might still have Borg nanoprobes in there. Um. Yes, if they had been invented, for sure. <laughs> Uh, the Breen are a possibility in this supposed attack, and nobody says they got helmets, but not purple ones. So maybe nobody knows <laughs> anything about them yet. Because they do got helmets. They do have helmets. Uh, the Black Cluster affects sensors and phasers and disruptors and cloaks and all, all that. Anyway, as always, use less power, and the anomaly dissipates or whatever. The little boy didn't rate a user code clearance. No. So he could not have blown up the ship by touching the L cars because it knows who that they know who touched the L cars. The L cars. Thank fucking God, huh? The L cars know who's touching them, and they're like, "This kid doesn't have clearance." That's weird. It's weird though because it definitely did let that hillbilly call up to the bridge. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it wasn't him. It was the investment banker? The investment bankers the the called the bridge, but also, I mean, Wesley just goes up there and he's touching all that shit. He's just a little kid. Yep. Perimeter alerts and all that. Um. So I gave it a two, but I could see a one. Well, that's unfortunate that you said that, Matt, because <laughs> I did issue it one point. Okay, that is fair. Just a one from me. Uh, we have the black cluster. Yeah. Uh, about the Breen, we learn that they may be cloak. It's uncertain from here. They maybe use disruptor weapons. That seems to be the most likely. And they're sort of believably hostile, even though they they don't expect them to be operating in this area. Sure. Um, But yeah, honestly, there's not much here, unless you expect the Breen to be meaningful at any point. But it seems like a throwaway here. And we came to understand after this that they were always used as the throwaway until they were not. Yeah, it seems like for sure if you're saying, I guess it could be the brain, but what the what would they be doing out here? That's they're the throwaways. Yes, exactly. it's not going to be the brain. So just a one. Okay. Ben agreed. Um, I don't know if we talked about it, but he had it. Yeah, as he a has one. agreed, and the, the black cluster is sort of the main thing here. Yeah. Uh, he's a two on characterization, though. He says Jordy was caught in a fire. Data gets to learn about trauma and compassion. Not much new. It seemed like Data was supposed to learn some kind of emotional lesson, but he didn't get the feeling that there was any arc for him. Yeah. Uh, I guess this is probably the hundredth time in 110 episodes that I've said this, but Data has emotions. 100%. He has longed to be human. Uh Uh-huh. He wishes he could taste his dessert. Sure. He worries that people don't understand him. These are all things that are, I would consider, emotional problems. Uh-huh. He spends this whole episode so sad and worried. Yeah. Uh, Troy's good this week, too. It's a real shame they spent so many episodes having her sit on the bridge and say he's being evasive about something. Mm. And not talking about her, therapy. you know, dealing with mental illness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's got the, she could do <laughs> therapy, it turns out. It's there's not there's nothing in this one as good as her scene with Worf last week. Her very sad scene with this idiot dad. This idiot dad is like, I don't know why this kid sucks so much. I did everything great. 
sent him to live with my parents in Minsk. Um, Riker's an absolute buffoon. His big <laughs> scene this week is him shouting, Data, that's suicide! Right before Data saves the day. And then confidently explaining what everyone already knows afterward, as he always does. Some kind of probe. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm... Yep, I know. Or... I think in that same episode you described, after they they make their attempt and it doesn't work, he says nothing. <laughs> Takes a long beat, by the way, so long that everyone must already understand what happened on the bridge, and then looks at Picard and goes, "Nothing." <laughs> no shit, buddy. Uh, Jordy gets a small scene about his childhood fire. It's not character building, really, since he clearly has moved past it. Um, but it's a nice it's a nice moment. It's a nice little scene. Mm-hmm. I gave it as much as a four for characterization. I thought that was sort of the, one of the strengths of this episode. I agreed. I gave it a five. Data knows to solemnly shake his head to indicate he has tricordered this body and it is dead. Uh-huh. He does know to do that. Yep. Gives him a real sad... No. He's seen TV. That's right. Uh, a lot of buck passing going on here. Crusher is like, you've got your work cut out for you, Deanna. Noink and fucking bolt. And then Troy goes, oh boy, Data, we, we, the two of us, have got a lot of work to do with this boy. <laughs> like, Data should be doing some uh, chief of operations or science officer bullcrap. But he gets roped in. Um... Data tells the boy he sometimes finds it difficult to express himself because he's worried humans won't comprehend him, and that sounds racist. Like, you're not, you're not like that far above us, buddy. I saw your paintings and they suck. <laughs> um. Anyway, Data plays along with this boy and helps him to get comfortable, and eventually, again, by putting the hard press on him about androids not lying, talk about what really happened. Uh, Data fucking talks right over Riker, goes over his head, and doesn't even say please to Picard. Just, Captain, nope. drop the shields. It is definitely an order. And I like that, because these dummies need somebody to boss them around. Um, Troy says Timothy turned from human to machine. Says that shit right in front of Data, that fucking fax machine in support gold. <laughs> Just right in front of him. Again, everybody earnestly plays along with Android Boy, but I still think with selfish motives. Everyone's just trying to make sure that they figure out whatever slapped the Vico around so bad ain't going to happen to them, too. So, um, a five for me. What about quick ones? Uh, let's see what I pull out from Ben's notes. Nothing a kid likes more than his adult, than an adult assembling his Lego set for him is totally true. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, you suppose the helmsmen talk amongst themselves about how Riker's always leaning on the back of their chairs? <laughs> he just, it's creepy. You can feel his breath. He, comes and up, he eats a lot of salmon. <laughs> well, he's from Alaska. I guess it's because he's from Canada or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I heard his dad made him cook from the time he was like three. That's, <laughs> all, that's what I heard anyway. Um... Anyway, yeah, he comes up behind this little ensign and just starts leaning on our chair. And I was like, what the fuck? Um, Picard called the wrong transporter room. This ensign seems so frustratingly unprepared for this. He really did. I think he never gets called. He knows he's like third choice. And so he was probably just fucking 
trying to see if he which porno sites were allowed on the ship. He might even be Picard's fourth choice after the transporter room in Cargo Bay 4. You know, the one where you can uh, expose it to space if you need to. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Well, he always needs that one, just in case. Um, This kid sort of looked like he was 40. Do you pick that up, too? He, I mean, the clothing was part of it, for sure, and the hair. But, yeah, he... There was a scene he had an old with, man face in some ways. Data, he looked older than Spiner, and I was confused. <laughs> and we've talked about how Sp- how Spiner aged so much in the <laughs> four years already. Yeah. That teacher, skinny Andy Richter, was yeah terrified of that boy's very tepid pushback about sculpture time not being finished yet. Yeah, he is not used to those kids saying no. <laughs> no, he's like, I'm not finished yet. And the guy's like, I think he's a serial killer. Like, he backs away from him all scared. <sighs> Though Troy is similarly bad at hiding her expression when the little creep reveals he's an android now. When Worf just says, I, after Picard tells him to adjust the sensors to compensate for all those echoes, is that because he doesn't want to tell Picard that he doesn't know how to adjust the sensors? <laughs> Yeah. And all he can all he can get out is one eye. <laughs> yeah, that for the next two days he's gonna keep seeing the echoes and just not, not tell them. anyone. <laughs> Boy, I hope he's compensating for it. I hope. I hope this doesn't turn out to be another peak performance episode with him, where you know he thinks it's just echoes, but it turns out to be a Ferengi ship or something. Right. Um, of lesser design. <laughs> In the end, that kid is just quietly staring off into the distance while everyone else is happy. And I was like, looks just like me. <laughs> Maybe because he looks like he's 40. So when then when Troy was talking about how he's still got a long road ahead of him, you were like, I do. I do. Indeed. I do. <laughs> but again, I thought it was maybe because the kid looked 40. Like he looked my age. I get it. Um, I've told you to stop wearing those jumpsuits. <laughs> well, I, you know, when they, I. They don't look good on anyone. He showed up in that burned up sweater and stuff, and I was like, fuck, I got a sweater that looks just like that. <laughs> uh, and then again, Data sent that kid to Minsk 100%. That kid's going straight to Minsk. That's it. <laughs> what about you? Do you think, uh, first of all, that there's some kind of rule that the Enterprise replicators won't make him an actual uniform because he's not authorized to wear one, and that's why he has to come up with that? color block sweater yeah he went into madden create a uniform or whatever and that was the best he could do matthew why not wear spacesuits when you beam over to one of these fucking junk ships <laughs> that's just half open to space they just beam over in their fucking shirt sleeve in tng they always do that shit yeah they's like if i move this one beam probably the whole ship's gonna come down so yeah. and, and there's no point where data said i've suggested on multiple occasions that we wear spacesuits when we beam over in these situations yeah i mean it all started with the uh battress or whatever there's beaming over there the whole thing's about to explode no one's wearing a spacesuit. yeah the whole corridor blew up yeah uh somehow like you said somehow data knows to just shake his head at Riker <laughs> about a dead crewman rather than say anything <laughs> uh i know they got rules about this stuff but why did they need a stunt double for Spiner in this scene where he picks a kid up off the stairs? <laughs> it's a good question. It was I, very clear. They didn't use Spiner. a stunt double for the kid, as far as I can tell. No, it looked like they're, well, you know, kids in Star Trek notoriously don't have any rights. Ask all those kids that got the Shatner treatment. 
I'm really going to toss these fucking kids around today. We're going to get a great performance out of these kids. But yeah, it's a very obvious Spiner double on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally different teacher, classroom, and kids from last week with Alexander. <laughs> Couldn't have saved money by filming this at the same time. Like, they shoot these shows a week apart, too. It's yeah. not. Uh, it's just so wild. No one that, said, hey, you know, next week's script, we got a teacher, too. Why don't we just do that yeah. with this lady? Like, okay, a- Alexander's not here. That's fine. Whatever. Right. Alexander's not going to be in every episode of the show just because he was here last week. Mm-hmm. But but just just everybody's different. Yeah. Well, Why? this is like every, every whenever I'm watching Voyager, I'm like, never seen that extra before. Never seen that extra yeah. before. <laughs> Matt, do you think the crewmen who share quarters and have no windows are a little irritated that they put this kid up in the VIP suite? <laughs> like, maybe they know they shouldn't. It's not nice to be irritated about it because his parents just died. But, like, sure. he was living on a no-birth. He's probably never even seen a turbo lift. You don't have to put him up at the Ritz. Yeah, it's true. Any one of these quarters is probably fine for a little kid. He's probably just going to hang out with Data the whole time anyway and sleep on his weird, uncomfortable-looking yeah, sure, couch. But they put him in fucking Admiral's quarters. Yep. For sure. This the scene where Troy and Data go to the ready room is shot exactly as if Picard was having his end of the conversation at a urinal. <laughs> it's after a weird smash cut too, after a way too short a scene with the desserts to begin with. But then like you cut there and Picard's half tucked in some little nook. You can't see his hands, but his arms are clearly down. And it's not until like... He brings up a cup of tea at the end, but if you put just the sound of urinating in there, it would be like Picard's got a little pisser over in that corner, and he makes and he people, was taking a piss while Troy and Data were there. That's right. He makes people just fucking go about their business and make their reports while he's taking care of his yeah. business. Anyway, I, not that I recommend ever watching this scene again, but I'm uh, episode again. But I'm sure if you do, when you see that scene, you'll be like, "It does look like he's taking a piss." Yeah, in, in the red letter media review, there'd be a peeing sound sound effect in the background for sure. Uh huh. Yeah, for sure. I'm not going to do that though. Yeah. Uh, Data keeps looking at his own hair in the mirror while he's brushing the kid's hair. So, like, I guess we know why he programmed Riker so funny in reunification. He's <laughs> hair blind. He's totally hair blind again. Soon, software not his thing. He ain't got it all no, right. He's a hardware guy. Yeah, that that robot is very strong. Hundred percent. Data's strong as hell and like waterproof and everything. I bet but, it could uh, kick a guy pretty good. I bet it's got uh, all kinds of stuff. But like, it keeps us so, so buggy. All the bugs. It's a Bethesda product. All of this talk where Data is talking about how he wishes he would, could do this and he wishes he could do that. He just doesn't recognize desire as an emotion, huh? Ah, uh, I guess. Yeah. Like it's just not emotional for him at all. No, I desperately want the things, but not in an emotional way. Yeah, he doesn't talk about a logical belief that it would be better if he were human, mm-hmm. because that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's the whole point of him garbage. saying, aren't you super strong, and aren't you going to live forever, and uh, don't you never feel sad? But he's got to be like, but I would give it all up. I would trade it all. I would, I would occasionally be sad if it meant that I got to taste my dessert. Or like whistle better, because soon didn't make me whistle good or whatever. Just how could that possibly not be an emotion? Come on, idiots. <laughs> again, uh, again, we decided probably in season one that the only way the show makes sense is if he does indeed have emotions. And yep. he's the only one who doesn't know. <laughs> yep. 
Well, or everyone else just fucking takes it at face value. Because just like people are always believed Vulcans can't lie, people are constantly parroting back at him. Well, you don't have emotions. I feel like they're doing it to point out. I feel like <laughs> they're being sarcastic. And like when he does something Maybe. emotional, and they're like, oh, I thought you didn't have emotions, though. That's weird. I must have misunderstood when you said you didn't have emotions, Data. Data should know by now that it will take less time to explain something the first time, like, we must drop the shields, the wave is amplifying them, mm. instead of just repeating an order in angrier and angrier tones, <laughs> like with uh, Christopher Hobson, exactly. and giving everyone time to object. <laughs> yeah, he could he could have done a little bit better. Yeah. But it's just, they don't watch game tape. If they did... Maybe at some point someone would say, Data, you should have just explained it the first time. Uh, I would love to be the person who gets to go over the tape. I want everyone to sit in the room, and then I can sit there and I go, now see, look, see over here? Riker's a team player. Watch. Watch him come up with a terrible idea so the Geordi <laughs> here can have a good idea. Yep. Why can't you all be team players? Put the team first, like Riker. <laughs> good job, Riker. Um, this thing... That almost happened to the Enterprise, and which did happen to the Vico, where they just get focused on getting more and more power to the shields and almost destroy themselves. Uh, happens all the time in real life. As you know, one of my hobbies is reading about plane crashes. Sure. And it happens all the time where, like, a pilot will focus in on the first idea that he has about what's going wrong. Yeah. And just get, like blinders on about that being the issue and meanwhile a plane that could fly perfectly well if you hadn't shut down the wrong engine will just crash right so you know i'm not i'm not I don't feel too bad that that people were a little bit slow thinkers about the fact that they turned the shields up and the wave got stronger but like the, this is a problem that should be solved we need crew resource management or something <laughs> to solve this problem yep yeah that could be yeah for a while I must have watched something about a plane crash because then YouTube all the time was like, now you want to know what happened with all these plane crashes, right? <laughs> and I was like, every time I was like, I, like emotionally, I don't want to go there, but also I am curious about why YouTube that plane is probably crash. YouTube and Google are probably like not quite sure that you and I aren't the same person, <laughs> just sometimes using a VPN from different <laughs> locations. Yep. So it probably is just like, I don't know. Th this one in San Jose watches a lot of air air disaster <laughs> stuff. We, we should probably recommend it to the to the Boston or to the because yeah, I can't <laughs> explain how it first too. popped up. But then I was like, um, I'm gonna be sad after I watch it about all those people who beefed it. But like, I am curious about why this happened. I do for sure want to read about Air France 447. And be like, oh, the it has real audio from the crash. And I'm like, oh, that's morbid. I don't want to hear that. But also, like, what if the guy swears? I kind of got to hear it. <laughs> I gave best actor, actor this week to Jordy and worst actor. I thought it would be the child actor, but it's definitely his blonde teacher. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Kenny Andy Richter. Right. He was a real yeah, fuck up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, none of his reactions are appropriate to what that kid did. No, you know, the kids kind of firmly, but you know, like a kid is like, no, I'm not finished yet. And the guy's like, like someone fucking walked over his grave. No, the dude was like uh, Madame Jensen when I turned in French homework. <laughs> he was that surprised. <laughs> yeah. Just in case I haven't said it on the podcast one time, I did my homework three days in a row, and she exclaimed, Mon Dieu, it's a Nielsen record. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> she must have had our sister a, too. <laughs> there were a lot of teachers that were, I think, mad that I wasn't doing worse. <laughs> because I was putting in zero effort, but I was still often getting the high test score. And I think it irritated some. Well, of that them. also that you were smart enough, they could tell that if they just tried to fuck with the system and give you a bad grade, you'd be able to point out in the rubric why that didn't make sense or whatever. Yeah. So they just had to stick with the rubric and be like, oh, this fucking guy can't quite fail him, this fucking guy. Like, I didn't get good grades for sure, but yeah. I think. I think my behavior really got under the skin of some of the teachers there, and I am sorry that you and Sarah had to deal with that when you came around. Yeah, because she not only blew up my spot, but blew up my whole family spot in class. <laughs> yes. Just sit in front of She everybody. put your whole fucking family on blast. It's a Nielsen record she said in front of the whole class like that was anybody's <laughs> business. <laughs> Fuck you, Madam Jensen. Um, now that we've done the whole episode, I will ask a question that I was not clear about. I didn't understand. Okay. Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They found the broken up earth. Yeah. And they found no one's alive. And they took the kid back. Yeah. Did they just keep going deeper into the black cluster to try to unravel the mystery of what happened to the Vico? A hundred percent. Because that's incredible hubris. Oh, yeah. To just be they like. They for sure were like. Well, this was a dumb Oberth, and it was yeah. a science ship, and it wasn't the best and brightest, let's be honest here. So we'll just fucking cruise This, this is like here. the lead scientist on this expedition. His PhD dissertation was about jacking it, so. <laughs> We're just going to cruise in here where God knows what's waiting for us. Maybe purple uh-huh. helmets, and also, like, who knows if our systems are going to work or whatever, and everything would be fine. And I couldn't understand. I was sitting the whole time going, like, why don't they just leave? Just go yeah. away. Just don't be in the black yeah. cluster, and then you don't have to worry about it. So it was just investigate. It was just to prove once and for all what happened to the Vico. Yep, yeah, send so. a probe for that shit. I don't care about that. Or fucking don't, and just throw a warning beacon out in front. Right. Do it <laughs> Starfleet style. Do. Exactly. Lay hey, the beacon. They get lazier and lazier over time. This one's just like a bad thing happened here. I don't know. That's the whole beacon. <sighs> Well, the scores are in. Okay. Uh, last place this week with 18 points. That's uh, two points slipped from last week, I'm afraid. Voyager, <laughs> no, course, Oblivion. not Voyager. They, uh, they don't do last place work. To be honest, it scored one point in the back half because it was not about our crew, which made world building and characterization incredibly difficult. It was actually as good as any of the episodes in the front half, for sure. Yeah. In the in terms of premise and execution, it did just as well as any of the others. <laughs> actually, it did the best of those. So Yes, it did better on, uh, on take than any of the other ones. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, last place again, I'm afraid. Uh, second place this week, uh, 27 points, which is mediocre but not terrible. That's TNG Hero Worship. But the winner this week, kind of a low winning score at 31 points. Mm-hmm. Deep Space Nine in Purgatory Shadow, but it's a part one. So for a part one to win the week is, is still something. Well, we, you and I were off seven points. so We were. We were seven points different on this one. It was one. your second place episode. <clears throat> next time we get together to do this we are talking about vi- violations no i don't want to do it i don't want to do that one let's skip to masterpiece society i feel like there's a take in that one what's the take <laughs> the... In violations don't rape people don't don't do rapes don't let your dad do an r rapes bad sign right, it's the dad who Rick does it Berman. in this one yeah, right. I think it is. They all suspect the other guy, and then it turns out to be Creep Dad. Yeah, 
Is the dad? Uh, the, is the dad the guy who just died? Oh shit! The dad might be the guy who um, just died. His Paul name is Sorvino. Um, Sorvino, yeah. Is that? I think that's the dad in that one. Yeah, could be. I don't think he talks much. I think he just does an R and then whatever. <laughs> it's a mind R. I don't know if that's better or worse for you. Well, guys. maybe that's what they're exploring. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what the tape could be. <laughs> well, look, we'll see. Deep Space Nine, we're going to finish up uh, this little two-parter and start off a whole bunch of other stuff with By Inferno's Light. Mm. If it goes from In Purgatory's Shadow to By Inferno's Light. Great. And uh, the Voyager episode that I get to describe for next week is called The Fight. Please say it's finally the one where Seven of Nine meets The Rock. Come on, UPN. Do this oh, for me. Cool. Do this for me. He, listen, he's running out of time to show up. We're season Voyager five, taps out first. We're deep in season five. Yeah, actually, you know what? No, I don't want it to be that one because I want to be the one to describe the one where The Rock shows <laughs> up. <laughs> but you get to describe Think Tank. I'm sure that's just going to be a real someone winner. to watch over me and oh. relativity. I get to describe an episode in a few <laughs> weeks called 0.49930555556. I mean, what is the 709 give the odds on something or something? And that's that's uh, that's what we're doing. Anyway. Now. Okay. Exciting. Uh, that's what we should uh, do next time we talk Star Trek. But next week is going to be a mailbag week and... We don't have a special project running, do we? Or do we? Are we finishing flags? We have to go through flags. We gotta. We have to finish flags. We will try to finish flags if we are not split on any of the decisions. Okay. Um. But yes, then we are done with that one. That'd be fucking cool. Knock that one. It's only been a couple of years. (sighs) We uh, (laughs) yeah, make make it sound like that's the fault of this project. (laughs) Okay. So Uh, yeah, mailbag. Yeah. So send us mail. That's at uh, at Brother Date on Twitter machine. You can send us the emails, brothers at brotherdate.com. Go to brotherdate.com and see the flags bracket and get invested because it's almost over. Championships are coming up soon. Like the 80s footballer tournament. We are deep into this thing. Um, and um, podcatchers, they once caught saber bear in the <laughs> Kethel Lowlands or whatever he said that is true uh, as you believe so shall you do so shall you do as you believe so shall, so you, shall do. you do don't do anything to her tits we gotta see the butt crack more shots of the butt crack. Have her bend over, look into a big old bucket or something. Maybe she maybe she almost falls in the bucket. The crowd will love it. The audience at home. Please subscribe.